Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode six of Retro Hangover. We are coming to you over the streaming sweet, sweet kilobits and megabits of the internet. It is July 3rd. I am Chris Copeland, and I am joined by the unifying unifier for the United States, the <laughs> furious frame master Googling with glasses. Nice new glasses there, Shane. And the grid master of Grim Rock, Shane Koski. That was impressive. That was that was all right off the cuff. I, I, I liked that. It was pretty terrible. Also, man, you're harshing my mellow, brah. Well, then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be back. We've been gone for two weeks. Uh, we, I hope you liked that two-episode split. Uh, I sure did. I think it's fun. It gave, gave us a little bit of a break uh, to enjoy life. It's good to be back uh, talking with you again, Shane. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Nice to be recording. Yeah, yeah, good to see you too, man. I, uh, th- I mean, I guess this is the first time you've seen these glasses. They're not. I, I use them for my my computating. It's supposed to be to cut down on eye strain, you know. Since I look at it all the time, it makes you look smarter. Glasses tend to do that, so I've heard. P- people seem to like it when I wear my glasses. I, I contacts cost one hundred and thirty-seven dollars, so <laughs> I'm not really looking to wear those. Glasses are free. Well, then you could make the argument that they do, in fact, make you look smarter because you have made the frugal decision to not invest in contacts. Oh, uh, yes. Very conscientious. I can't say the word. Yes. I can't talk. Words. Conscientious. Ah, fuck it. Um, <laughs> in making in what is financial decisions. In what is essentially a radio medium, we are excellent at the mouth words. It's very important to look smart on the radio, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Looks so intelligent with these. That, that's the point. Uh, so our main topic today is we'll be addressing the retro game market, which I honestly think is is well overdue. I've been looking forward to this episode for a while, considering the name of our podcast is Retro Hangover. It's it's time to talk about... I think so. My God. I'm, I'm trying to spread the word and get it out there. Those of you who have been loyal listeners, thank you. But get the word out. Let's get more listeners. Uh, retro Hangover. And we'll be talking about retro games. Yes, I'd also like to throw a quick shout-out to all of the uh, spam accounts that have registered on the Retro Hangover website. We appreciate each and every one of you and your random-ass yahoo.com email addresses. Especially Letitia. Letitia, Mm. you motivated us to let us know our website become more popular. Yes, I would actually like to know more about your SEO marketing strategies, Letitia. So if you're listening to this, could you could you please get in touch with us? That was the biggest fan mail of the week. But <laughs> it was the only one. <laughs> we would love to hear more from you. I've heard, I know I've heard some people say they wanted to email the podcast, or post some comments to the podcast. I'm starting to think we might need a 
Twitter account. I might think about setting one up. I don't know. More people seem to be accessible via Twitter. But if you're listening to this and I've talked to you and you said you're going to leave me a comment and you know who you are, I still have not seen it. I would love to see it on the website or on the Facebook page. But, I mean, even though you do listen, so I do want to thank you. I just want to see. We need those comments. I love the feedback. I, I have I have seen, well, actually one individual in particular that has been leaving comments on our Facebook posts. So, kudos to them. Um, as for the rest of you slackers, you got to catch up. <clears throat> I need to. I need to see those. Fa- I haven't seen any comments to our Facebook posts. Yeah, there's a few. I must have missed them. I need to take a look. Oh wait, yeah, no, yeah, I know. I know who that is. Yeah, yeah. I know you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, thank you very much. I do appreciate it. Yeah, that's awesome. But anyway, it's been it's been two weeks since we recorded last, so we'll do mm-hmm. the normal introductory beginnings and talk about what's been going on, uh, video game wise, and what we've been playing. Well, <clears throat> I feel like we say this every week. Because I think we do. Let's get out of the way. But right. record keeper. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes, there is that. No, it was mostly that. I feel like we say every week that we haven't really been playing a lot. We're, we're grown ass men with with jobs. Uh, happens. Yeah, yeah. I, well, with me being sort of like indisposed for most of the week traveling and such I haven't really had a chance to play a whole lot of anything well talk about where, where'd you go what'd you do uh well I uh, took a little road trip uh ended up going up to Missouri and uh visiting St. Louis got to see the arch that was cool hmm. um made a few like stops along the way got to see some touristy things went to uh Metropolis where <clears throat> Metropolis, Illinois. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the, the literally the only thing going for them there is the fact that they're named Metropolis and they have a somewhat large statue of Superman. They bill it as like the giant Superman statue, and then you kind of pull up and you're like, oh, it's uh, it's. I mean, it's kind of big for them. It's big. It's, it's there. I mean, the weird thing about that town, though, is like there's like nobody there. Like, other than the gift shop and the statue, like, that town is, like, a ghost town. You, you gotta understand, in between Chicago and St. Louis and, and most of Kentucky, there is no one living there. there. There is no one in central and southern Illinois. It doesn't really exist. I mean, no, but it was just weird because it was an actual, like, it was a little town, but all the buildings were empty. It was really strange. Uh, but no, it was cool. So, uh, been been traveling a little bit. Like I said, saw the arch, uh, went to see some other touristy things, and uh, got to see uh, the the hometown and boyhood home of Samuel Clemens, which is uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, did some actually. I went into my first cave. I've never been like caving before. That was kind of cool. Did you in Kentucky or Missouri? Uh, that was in Missouri. Okay. Yeah. Um, on the way back though, I went to Mammoth Cave. Got so, yes, that is in Kentucky. Yes, that's yes. the one in Kentucky. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, didn't get to do the slightly more like advanced tour due to timing. So I got basically the noob tour with all the children, and it was like way too short. Uh, you want to do some spelunking? <clears throat> I don't know if I want to go that far. Uh, the The idea of potentially getting trapped between two pieces of rock and is not exactly appealing to me, but uh, maybe a little bit more than just the, like, almost paved path that they have for like, the kids and beginners tour. You know, the people so they don't get lost. 
Yeah, pretty much. But uh, no, all in all, it was pretty cool. Uh, I did manage to keep on keeping on with the the record keeper. Although I'm a little behind on that, I gotta do the most the latest event. Um, it was what what are the two this time? It's they had Sephiroth again. No, no, I know, but the Final two the two characters for the newest event. Uh, Fran and Bothier. Yes, from Final Fantasy XII. Right. So I have I just got like Fran today, and I need to get. Isn't that, that like one. a terrible? <laughs> it's a terrible event. The battle music sucks. I don't know if you listen to, to like you have the volume up or not while you're playing it. I usually do, although actually I think all the times I've played this event, I think my phone's been on silent, so I actually haven't heard it. It's just you could Final Fantasy twelve is such an unorthodox Final Fantasy game because mm. it's essentially like an MMO. Oh, okay. Um, wow. So, like the music compared to like every other Final Fantasy has battle music, mm-hmm. and then you and even Final Fantasy thirteen, you get to twelve and is like atmospheric and all this stuff like that because battles take place in real time. There's no real battle music. Oh, okay. So, well, I guess I will have to listen to that now. It's terrible. Great. Uh, don't don't. It's just weird. Um, keep the volume off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, see, uh, now with the introduction of like the memory crystals and stuff, now I'm like compelled to actually go through and do I okay full disclosure I did it anyway but now I feel like I have to do it which is to go through and do the elite versions of all the events because that's where you get the memory crystals for the characters I didn't get squalls I did I couldn't I've gotten every one so far even though I haven't maxed any of those characters the, the boss totally wrecked me yeah that sucked that took me a long time yeah actually but, uh, yeah, I've been doing that. Uh, other than that, I, well, as you, it's paused behind us right now, but um, I just started into Legend of Grimrock 2 today because uh, I finally wanted to get around to doing that because I really liked the first one. Um, and so far, this is... If you liked Legend of Grimrock, you owe it to yourself to play this one because it's basically more of the same but better. Um, it's It has much more open areas... It's a lot bigger in scale than the first one, uh, but the same like core concepts pretty much still hold. So if you liked the old style PC RPGs like the original Ultimas and stuff like that, where it was a first person perspective, where you it was basically like almost tile based, where you were moving like one space at a time, definitely check it out. And you need to play the first one. I do. I just my backlog is laughable. Yes. I mean, show is yours, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. You said you played some Final Fantasy VII, too. You got st- that kicked off. I, Steam. I did, yeah. Even though Chris lent me his uh, his FF7 discs, the original discs, I got seduced by the Steam sale and paid five bucks and got the Steam version instead. So I've been playing with my wired Xbox 360 controller on my PC and so far I just got past the point where you first like meet up with Eris and like escape the church I can't remember they call her Aerith or Eris in that they call her Eris and I think in the Playstation version it's Aerith I don't know I I use I honestly I use that name like interchangeably (laughs) yeah between the two but uh, so I'm not, like, very far in the game yet, but uh, so far, being, like, a complete new to the game and all, I I already like the Materia system. That's pretty cool. Um, I've set up Cloud with his all plus lightning, so then he just lightnings everybody. That's cool. 
keep in mind, everyone who's listening, he is a Final Fantasy VII noob. Absolutely. So, so, so understand that the, these things he's finding interesting. So, yeah, these are this yeah. is all new to me. Like, this is I'm sure this is what you experienced. Like, in what? When did this game come out? Like 1990 something. 90, 1997. Yeah. It was actually go. that when you say you equip someone with Olin plus lightning. That was the very first thing that frustrated the crap out of me. Because in Final Fantasies 1 through 6, you can cast... Well, not 1 through 6, but I want to say 4 through 6, which is the ones I really got myself acquainted on. Yeah. Like 2 and 3 when they were out. You could cast any spell on anybody on either side. That I mean, okay, that is true. Because I have played through the entirety of FF4. Am I to understand, basically, that the only way to cast magic in 7 is through Materia? That's, yes. Okay. That, that is a little weird. But... Having said that, it is still kind of a cool system. Like, you have to have the slots on your gear and stuff, and it's it's interesting, at least. And I haven't really been frustrated with it so far. Well, I mean, this but. was these were frustrations I know back in 1997. You yeah. know, these it's been a while. Um, so these are things I've come to groan and grow and accept over the years. So <laughs> I'm not extremely frustrated over them now. Um, I can completely understand why they did it. Uh, me gaming wise, I think I would call myself in gaming purgatory right now. Mm, I'm one of those that guys. Fun. You, no, uh, I'm one of those guys that if I start playing a game, I mm. have to finish it. And if I don't finish it, I can't start any other games. Yeah, I used I, to be like that. Yeah. Now I kind of just bounce around between them. And so I started playing Final Fantasy Type Zero HD. I'm not sure if we talked about this last week, uh, two weeks ago. I think I started playing. It. I think I, I think did we did briefly. Yeah. I, I very briefly um, started playing Final Fantasy Type Zero HD. I made it further in the game. I made it to where I think it's there's a plot now. Uh, up until then, it's just pretty much uh, there's there's one side that you fight for, and there's another side that other people are fighting for, and you're pretty much having a war with them. And now all of a sudden they've thrown complications into it. I got to that point where they got like this complication came in there and like, oh, I thought we were supposed to be fighting and you don't want us to fight anymore. Gameplay wise, I- I'm still not sure if I like the game too terribly. That's why I don't think I picked it up mm. again. Um, you have a three people battle system. Two of them are AI partners and you, you go into like... You can go from place to place, and you get into random encounters, and you fight them on and in those battlefields, and then you you're pretty much building up to missions. And then once you're on these missions, you go through an entire battle map, and you just fight whatever you run into. So um, wait, so let me get this straight. So you essentially have a party of three, much like FF Seven, yes. but you only actively control one of them. Yes, like Final Fantasy Thirteen. Okay, well, I haven't played 13. Okay, so So you, like... I mean, do you... Uh, can you at least assign, like, AI routines to the other two? No. 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 You can make their abilities, and you can assign what abilities they can use and what spells they have at their disposal, and the AI takes it from there. Which is a benefit, I guess. I, I know there's probably another game you haven't played. Uh, Final Fantasy XII. Nope. That we talked about earlier. They had something called the Gambit System, where you could pretty much control your other party member's AI. Because you'd be in chart, you'd be in control of one party member, and the other two party members would be controlled by AI. But the Gambit system, you could dictate what their actions could be under certain situations. Mm-hmm. You can't do that in HD Type Zero or Thirteen. Okay. But the thing about Type Zero is there's fourteen different characters. I think fourteen, fourteen. 
something like that. It's either 14 or 12. Anyway, they all have different bat- fight styles, different battle styles. Mm-hmm. And some are melee, and some are distant, some are kind of medium attacks, some suck really badly. <laughs> and it's just, it's sometimes it's too easy, sometimes it's too hard. And it doesn't really know what it wants to do with itself. So I, I'm going to keep pressing it on and, and keep playing it. In the meantime, you know, I've been playing a lot of those older games like Pac-Man, Galaxian. Uh, stopped by our local place, uh, VGR, and played some some uh, arcade games. Uh, oh. Pinball. <clears throat> yeah, didn't they just get some new machines, too? Yeah, they have, so? they have a Pac-Man machine and a Galaga machine. And, and people had already put credits into their... Uh, uh, Galaga machines. I was playing some Galaga for free, and that was fun. Nice. And some pinball. But yeah, I've been mean, uh, yeah, been doing those things for arcade fixes. And I think before I came over here, I started another game of Final Fantasy V Advance uh, on my GameCube through my Game Boy player. But um, yeah, Record Keeper has <laughs> been taking most of my it time. O- it always comes back to that. I, I wish sure I wish that. I could say Splatoon. I uh, just haven't had the motivation because when you get your get your ass whipped. <laughs> And constantly, it's time to move on. Speaking of moving on. Yes. We have news. The news. What news today is what is on tap. brought into that introduction for what's on tap by me not making any sense what I was saying. Was but anyway. The greatest segue. It was terrible. Ever. So good. The the monstrosity of that segue was fantastic. Um we are nothing if not professional. Absolutely. So uh we will do what we normally do, what is par for the course, and we're gonna start out with Nintendo News. Yay. Because the <clears throat> Nintendo News is amazing. Uh so our first news of the day is that We've heard a lot of NX rumors over the past couple months. Uh, I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. they're going to start leaking because that's supposed to be Nintendo's next system and yada, yada, yada. Anyway, these rumors are starting to suggest that Nintendo is targeting a 2016 release date, and that's production is going to start in October. This is really weird considering because I think this is going to happen. We've heard more about it during E3, or we're going to hear more about it later this year. We're going to have to, right? Uh, yeah, and so also just, um, because this was stuck in my head when I was looking at this, like, news story about the rumors. Did you know, I guess it's, it might be common knowledge, I didn't know this, but I thought it was interesting that, uh, Nintendo evidently also goes through Foxconn for their production? I, no, I did not know that. Yeah, I just thought it was weird, um, kind of. Because, I mean, if, if you're not aware, Foxconn is one of the companies, the, one of the major companies in uh, China that does a lot of the uh, production work for Apple. So if you have an iPhone or an iPad or something like that, then there's a very good chance that it was uh, assembled at a Foxconn facility in, in China. And they'd been in the news over the past you know, couple of years or so for basically being a shitty place to work at. So, uh, I just thought it was sort of interesting that that was called out in this as apparently Nintendo's one of their partners for like their, uh, hardware production. I just, I'm only calling that out because I think it's sort of strange that 
Nintendo is apparently openly sort of like associating with a place that has like a very negative rap. You know, the, the, the entire working condition thing is is that's unfortunate to hear, but a lot of major companies do it, and for better or for worse, you know, if you're saying they're making iPhones for it, I mean, it hasn't hurt Apple that much in terms of what they're doing. I, I just do I do think it's interesting that production is going to be that soon, um, considering they didn't say anything about it, and these are all rumors. Because uh, a rumor just came out about an hour before we started recording, saying mm. that this thing isn't going to be as powerful as the PlayStation Four, which I don't really think is surprising to anyone. I th- it I find it very surprising. Really? Because I don't. Honestly. Extraordinarily surprising. But unless they're doing what we've been repeatedly saying over and over and over about it is when Nintendo. You know, one of the things that came out in this this these interviews. The Nintendo was saying during this time period, it's not just a replacement for the Wii U or the 3DS. It's it's new tech. I understand why they would say it's not just a replacement for the Wii U. I'm curious by what they're meaning by or the 3DS. That's that's the strikingly weird part of this conversation is or the 3DS. I and I think I know where you're going with this, but I, I actually think that by them including that, it's sort of like a weird. A weird way of maybe <clears throat> confirming what you and I were talking about before about the mm-hmm. NX, where this might be them trying to like merge these two systems into one thing. That's been the big rumor for a while. Yeah. And I can understand if if it's going to go into the portable market, why they wouldn't announce it at E3, because the new 3DS just came out. <laughs> and, and people would be so pissed. And people who bought it would be like, why did I buy this thing? Which is why we've been telling you not to buy that thing mm-hmm. since the beginning. But, yeah, that's that's one of these things. Uh, really quick turnaround from, from the beginning of the rumors, which I don't think is, you know, these rumors went back further than they were. If production does start in October, if it does, this would be a quick turnaround. I'm surprised we haven't heard more about it. In other news, the original PlayStation... The original, not the PS1, no, 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 the original PlayStation, the Nintendo slash Sony PlayStation, a prototype was found this week. I mean, not so much found, but the person who has one came out and put pictures of Reddit on it. And this is really cool if you know the story behind it. How much do you know about this, Shane? Uh, to be honest, I actually don't know a whole lot. I do know that Nintendo and Sony had a collaboration going for a little while to create a, a PlayStation, um, but I, I didn't really know much of the specifics. But I'm, we're looking at the, the picture of the prototype that this person posted, and it is it basically looks like a weird Frankenstein of a... Super Nintendo and what one might think a PlayStation would look like. So, for those who, who aren't caught up, I know this story has been said multiple, multiple times about exactly what the Sony PlayStation was. I'll do the quick abridged version just to save time. In 1988, Ken Kutaragi came up with the idea for the sound chip for the Super Nintendo. After getting a Famicom thinking yeah, it sounded terrible, so he made the sound chip for the Super Nintendo, well regarded nowadays as being one of the best sound chips of that generation. Went to Nintendo, said, hey, Nintendo, try the sound chip out. Nintendo liked it. And they saw that he was from Sony. So Sony started making the sound chips for the Super Nintendo. So Nintendo went to Sony and was like, hey, we want to make an add-on for the Super Famicom thing. Sony was like, that sounds great. So they start working on the add-on. They start working on their own system here that we're looking at. 
in collaboration with Nintendo. But it came to 1991 at the Consumer Electronics Show. And Sony came out and says, hey, look, we're making this PlayStation with Nintendo. Isn't this thing cool? Well, Nintendo looked at the contracts. And the contract they signed with Sony pretty much gave Sony the rights to everything. They had the rights to game licensing. They had the rights to all music CDs that'd be associated with it. They had the rights to all hardware sales. So Nintendo would have the console, and they wouldn't make any money off of it whatsoever. So Nintendo went to Sony and said, hey, can we change the smart? Can we change the contract? Sony was like, no, we're not doing that. So right after Sony announced their system in 1991 and said, we're working this on Nintendo, Nintendo was like, we don't know what you're talking about. We're working with Philips instead. <laughs> Sony was understandably pissed. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can see why. And the rest is uh, history. Uh, Sony got pissed off and decided they were going to make their own console. And I think we all know where that went. Yeah, I mean, you know, it kind of seems like it worked okay for them. I think so. Yeah. But, I mean, this is this is a monumental piece of history. Um, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think this guy's going to sell it? Well, I mean, I, I personally would take the, the Indiana Jones stance on this and say that it belongs in a museum. It does. Whether or not... He's going to do that. I don't. I don't know. That I think that would be the right thing to do. Um, I. I mean, isn't has anyone ever seen one of these up until now? Really, not an actual one. Yeah. I uh, no. So if this is the real deal, this might be the first time anyone, uh, at least on a public level, has really seen this. So I. I would hope that he would do the right thing. Yeah. Considering he got it from his dad. His dad got it from his boss who worked for Sony. And uh, he was supposed to trash that thing. His boss told him to trash it and didn't trash it. Now, he doesn't have a power cord. So the thing I most want to see is what kind of OS this thing has and how it boots up. And if if this thing can play music CDs, it looks like it can play uh, Super Famicom games without Mm -hmm. a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, I I would suspect that it would. But... I'd be more than interested to see if this thing could, what it would look like when it plays music CDs and what it looked like when it booted up and, and, and stuff like that. Obviously, I don't think there's any software on CD for this thing right now. And if you found that, that would be, that'd be a gold mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's really cool this thing was found. Uh, if you go see it, by all means, look up the news articles. This thing is, is, is really a, a sight to behold. It, it's, it's really cool. It is also really weird seeing Sony PlayStation branding on a Super Nintendo controller. Super Famicom controller. Oh, I'm sorry. Famicom <laughs> controller because it's got the rainbow buttons. Yeah, that's always bothered me. Why, why does everyone have to differentiate the two things? It's, uh, it's, you can know, play man. Super Nintendo and Super Famicom games on this. No, you can play Super Nintendo games on this, you pretentious prick. <laughs> <laughs> just being unnecessarily confrontational about this. Uh, speaking of confrontational, the way that you titled that is like crazy. So Nintendo is attacking your phone. You should probably know this if you don't. Yes. Yeah. They're just assaulting the thing in your pocket. Well, they can do that. And also your phone. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Giggity. So, uh, so yeah, Nintendo, as I'm sure most of you are aware at this point, have started dipping their toes into the mobile gaming space, which is, you know, about time, I think, most of us would say. And uh, <clears throat> so far, so good. I mean, we sure as hell have been talking about that stuff constantly, and uh, 
they have uh, said recently that you know they really want to try to go for more of a mass appeal with their smartphone games. They don't want to take the approach that a lot of some of the unfortunately more popular mobile games have taken in the past, which is basically relying on what they refer to as whales, which are the users who will spend thousands of dollars on their game to keep it afloat. Rather than doing that, they want to still create free-to-play games, but at the same time have their free-to-play system structured in such a way that it can sustain itself off of very small purchases from a wider group of people. Um, So, I mean, this, and this really fits, to me anyway, fits with a lot of, uh, you know, the philosophy that Nintendo has sort of always operated on, which is they try to appeal to the broadest market possible. Which is... Not surprising for Nintendo, they always try to go for the... Well, more so recently. I'd say with the, the Super Nintendo and the GameCube and the Nintendo 64, it was more towards that very hardcore audience. It was just... It's still the younger... is viewed as the younger audience. It's more the, the, the family appeal once you got the systems for everybody. But what I find interesting about how Nintendo's approaching this, and their first mobile game they have announced that's on your... You can get for your 3DS or 2DS right now, and that's Pokemon Shuffle. The important thing I'm seeing here is, you have to remember a year ago, they were like staunchly opposed to going on the mobile market, the smartphone market. It wasn't that long ago, they were cursing up a storm and saying this will never ever happen. Flash forward to now, and it's, we look forward to bringing this kind of entertainment to the masses, and we're going to we're gonna focus on bringing it to a larger pool, and, and, and you know, we want more bodies you're paying a little instead of one body who pays a lot. I really are looking forward to this. This is odd. I just I think it's because somebody at Nintendo finally realized that they were very quickly becoming a newspaper company in an internet world. For if if that metaphor sort of holds up, mm-hmm. which is to say that out of all of the major you know game companies, the the big three, if you will, Nintendo has always historically been the one lagging behind as far as keeping up with the times. They they always have been. And and that was just another way that they were doing that. And it always struck me as strange that they wouldn't recognize these things that are staring them right in the face. I mean, when we had our discussion about YouTube, mm-hmm. that was another big thing where Nintendo was was and arguably to a certain extent still is weirdly against having their content on YouTube, particularly for like Let's Players and stuff like that, where other companies for quite a long time now have recognized the value, uh, particularly marketing value, of having their content on YouTube at, you know, available to such a wide audience. But, but even so, I mean, the, the quick turnaround they've done on this, ever, like even when they announced the fact that they would be going into the mobile market, they, they were hesitant on doing it. This wasn't that long ago. No, and they, they, were, they were really hesitant on even saying we're going to the mobile market. They did it, like, grudgingly. And now they're in the mobile market and about to re- release Pokemon Shuffle later this year, and all of a sudden, yeah, we love the mobile market. We're looking forward to doing this. I think part of it was them being cautious because they know that, I, I want to say the majority, actually, of... Their 
user base, I guess, their income is really portable. from portable, yeah, from the the but DS install base. Even so, you look at the archaic online play they have, you look at the, the, the archaic mentality they have to their video game systems of withering technology that they've been applying. Um, you look at a lot of things they, they continue to do in this very old-fashioned, very archaic way of thinking. And even when they turn around, it's like you have to... It's like they're doing it at gunpoint. They refuse to do it. And the mobile market, they've just been like... They went from, yeah, maybe to a, a quick, fast turnaround. And that's that. I think that's good for Nintendo. That that shows some signs of maybe they give a shit. Well, I like I was saying, I think that their trepidation with the initial mm-hmm. announcement of it was because, honestly, I think that they were afraid that they were going to... Yeah, definitely. That they were going to, you know, alienate and piss off their DS user base um, because, you know, mobile... I mean, for the longest time now, people have been crying about how uh, mobile games are going to... are killing, you know, the handheld market, which I honestly don't think is true. I mean, if you look at the numbers for 3DSs and stuff, they're they're doing fine. Uh, I think that there are two... Although, at this point now, one might argue that there is... There is some definite merging going on there, particularly with, uh, you know, Nintendo introducing free-to-play <coughs> titles to the eShop of the 3DS, like Pokemon Shuffle, which I think was their very cautious way of starting to introduce those kind of things. It's a good game. Have you, have you played it? I do, yeah. I've been playing it. It's yeah. a good game. It's it, just, yeah, it, it is. It, it's very around the free-to-play model. It's It's... It's pretty bad. It's it's free to play in every way you think it would be. I mean, you have a, like a limited number of plays in a certain amount of time, um, and you premium currency to you know buy you more plays if you're really that impatient and that kind of thing. I mean, it's, it was an obvious mobile transition. Yeah, yeah, definitely. One of the transitions that we haven't really seen from Nintendo. Speaking of turnarounds is their stance on social agendas. Mm. Now, one thing that they got in trouble not too long ago for, uh, it's not Tamagotchi, Tomodachi Life. Yes. Remember that? When um, they had, in Japan, there was a, a bug, it was a bug, that allowed for same-sex marriages. And they're thinking when they brought the game to the United States, they'd leave the bug in, or they'd adjust it so that you can, can you have same-sex marriages? And it was brought down. Because Nintendo said they didn't want to make a social statement, and essentially they didn't see it as an issue. They they don't understand why people want it. They viewed it as them fixing the program, so you couldn't have same-sex marriages. Well, time changes everything. The next Fire Emblem game, Fire Emblem Fates, that's going to be coming to the uh, that's going to become the United States soon. It's going to be coming in Japan, but it's going to be for the 3DS. It's going to be allowing same-sex marriages, which. More power to them. Good for them. I think it's uh, I think it's a huge step forward socially for Nintendo. Yeah, I mean, okay. So I personally, this is one of those like, okay, yeah, sure, this is about time. Like, I, I, it, yeah, exactly. Like I, you know, I'm sure there are some people that are like up in arms about it or whatever. But uh, and I know being a corporation, you have to be very. PC about how you handle things, and I, I get that. But but what's PC? Because major successes in games like Mass Effect and Dragon Age Inquisition have been allowing not so much marriages, but same-sex couples in games forever. 
True, but then you also have to take into consideration that Nintendo, out of all of these companies, have been you know towing towing that family friendly line for a right. very long time. And what exactly does that mean? You know, and the definition of that is evolving. I think uh, for the better, in my opinion. But I think in a in an uncharacteristic move by Nintendo, I, for once, I think they're actually keeping up with the times, which is good. Uh, and, and as far as, like, the technicalities behind this, there's gonna, I guess there's gonna be, like, three versions of this game. Two, there's two versions. Well, there's two and then a downloadable one. Well, like, so... Gonna have, you're gonna have two different versions, and I think it's, like, the other, the, the one previous to this one, Awakening, where there are two versions of Japan, you had to download... The second part, yes, or yes. That's something like that. Yeah, I don't, I'm the, not well, exactly sure, but something there's like two, that. Yeah, there's two retail versions, and then each of those versions, regardless of which one you buy, you'll be able to download the the second half. Right, and I guess it's split up in such a way that um, they're called Conquest and Birthright. Those are the two different versions. It's a, it's very Pokemon in in that way. Um, so, <laughs> so I guess in the conquest version of the game, there's a male character uh, that the that the player can have their main character marry uh, if they you know bond with them in battle over the course of the game. And conversely, the other edition of the game, Birthright, there will be a female character that if you have a female main protagonist can get involved with, and if you don't do that or if you buy a different version you'll still be able to get connected with those characters in the downloadable content after the fact i'm thinking i I want to get birthright really yeah i can't imagine why that would be because uh it's uh not not as brutal the word conquest is just too brutal i don't want to uh oh yes Yes, that's that's nothing to do with lesbians no none at all no (laughs) of course not but hey good good for nintendo uh, glad to see uh, socially progressive in, in, in video games finally catching up to what all these Western games are, are doing. And well, I mean, a lot of Japanese games are doing this for a long time too. Well, yeah, but I mean, and, and much in the same way that the the topic, the, the actual social topic itself, has sort of now finally become basically a non-issue for at least for us in the U.S. Um, finally. I finally, uh, I I think that uh, this is good. I think that now I I want to say that I think Nintendo is probably really the last holdout on that one, right? So I'm sure there's others, but no one cares about them. Well, okay, sure. I mean, like as far as like the the, the, the big major ones, ones the ones the major that ones matter. I think this was kind of the last holdout. So now this should just be like regular run-of-the-mill stuff. Like so, it, Sony doesn't have any big games with gay people, but then again, Sony pretty much isn't making games right. I was just saying, <laughs> that's, that's what I was going to say. I was like, yeah, they don't have any because they don't have any games. like that. <laughs> Slamming Sony. Well, Microsoft isn't really making games right now with that either, but they both companies have third parties that are, are doing a lot for that, so... So we have a bunch it's of... It's not bad. So there's the positive news about Nintendo, and then let's go to the negative stuff, because why not? Hey, negative stuff! <clears throat> so if any of you uh, saw the Nintendo uh, conference during E3, or if you listened the to The Nintendo us, Direct, yes. Yeah. The, the Direct, or if you listened to us talk about it, uh, you know that there were a lot of Metroid fans that were not 
particularly pleased with mm-hmm. what got revealed. And in a somewhat surprising move, Nintendo has addressed those negative reactions directly. They have. Uh, I think it's more of Reggie fils spreading his ass cheeks, letting you know the Japanese division shove their hands straight up his ass and, and be a puppet. Would you say that his, his body was ready? His anus was ready. Ah, okay. His anus was ready. Okay. I don't know, but he, he was being he was being the corporate mouthpiece for Nintendo because Nintendo, yeah, you have to react to it when you go on the YouTube site and you look at the the, the preview video for for Metroid Garbage Blast Ball, whatever Federation Force, <laughs> and um, you know the the I gave it a dislike as well, for the record, and it's vastly disliked. It's like one percent. Or maybe two percent people like the video as opposed to like a ninety percent dislike rate. You have to come out and you got to say something. So Reggie Fizeme pretty much came out and said, you know, this is an IP. Just wait until you play it. You might like it. Um, well, it's not new IP, but we're taking an IP. You guys haven't played it yet. Hold your reservation so you get it into your hands. This this has happened before with other games. Calm your tits. It's going to be okay. Just just try it. Just play it first. Yeah, I mean in in corporate speak, he essentially was saying, or trying to say, that so far, the people that have actually gotten their hands on the current version of the game and have played it, have been generally positive, while he thinks that the folks that haven't just aren't seeing what's good about it. That just means you got to be careful with how you name these things. I mean, come on, Nintendo. Well, that's what we said about this yeah, last time. Yes. Was that if you had just called this literally anything other than Metroid or an established IP, like this could have just been random ass space ball, and no one mm-hmm. would have cared. But no. the fact that you attached the Metroid name to it when you knew there's no way that Nintendo does not know this that. The, the fan base has been looking for a proper installment to the Metroid series for quite some time Nintendo now. Nintendo of Japan probably doesn't know that. Because they're so out of touch with reality. Yeah. Well, that's why we get <laughs> Metroid Federation ball slingers or whatever. I mean, if you're t- Nintendo of America, you're Reggie fils Yeah, that's, that's, why, that's why I settled that. He knows the American market wants another true Metroid game. He knows they want a fully-fledged Metroid game. And he probably looks at this, and he's looking at Nintendo of Japan, and he's like, guys, guys, no. Go, do you, do no. You think? Do you think he saw this, like, when he, when it came across, and he just, like, he was like, oh, God, no. I hope so. <laughs> I hope he did. I hope someone in those board meetings were like, you know this isn't going to fly. And they, but you gotta do. You have to be the good soldier for the company that's paying your bills. Mm-hmm. You gotta go out there and you gotta say, just wait until you play it. He's not coming out and saying you're gonna be really excited for this. This is continue the saga of Metroid. It's gonna get you into it. Realize what he's saying. Hey, you guys gotta play it first. Which means we know that you don't like this, and we knew you weren't gonna like this. Just hold uh, off. He, well, the, you knew he knew. The thing is, is I mean, kind of like what we were saying. For, for all we know, this is probably a decent game. Like, it will probably come out, and it will probably be very enjoyable. Most Nintendo products are. It's just it, it's just the fact that it's a Metroid game. Uh, by from, name. From what I saw, it would be a nice $15 download. Sure. It'd be yeah. a fun game. But Speaking of downloadable titles. Or previously downloadable titles. Yes. Shovel Knight. 
Too. Is getting a physical version. I'm so happy I haven't gotten it yet. Uh, I mean, I'm happy because I've already played it, and yes. it's a sweet-ass game. So. I, I have people like you to play it, and let me know it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Shovel Knight is finally getting a physical version of the game, which Chris is going to be picking up because he, he loves his discs. I do. Yes. I love my discs. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, for the record... Uh, I guess in interest of disclosure I have pre-ordered this game for my Wii U I will be getting it for the Wii U and I'm very excited because it's going to come with an instruction booklet I did see that Yeah. so you can you can read it on your way home in the backseat of your parents car while you're waiting to play it you know what fuck you <laughs> well I mean that's I mean that's what I did that, that's I what I did too yes I, I do remember that well I, I like even a couple years ago. Also, game instruction booklets made really good pooping material. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I, I can remember, like, even a few years ago, I would get, buy my game if I got a new game, even if it wasn't a new game, I'd take it to the car, and I'd just sit down, I'd open it up, and I'd go through the instruction manual before driving home. I want to know everything about the game. Uh, now you get the game, you open it up, and you get a voucher for online content. Uh, yeah, you get, like, a... <laughs> I won't even say it's pages because now it's literally just like a piece of paper folded in half mm-hmm. with like the epilepsy warnings or whatever well, and that's it. Hell, I mean there's even some games that just come like they come with the 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 case and inside is a voucher to download the game. Yeah. Yeah. That's oh, where we're at. That reminds me. We're we're going to go off on a slight tangent Let's here. Let's do it. But holy shit, man. I think I might have mentioned this before, and if I did, whatever. Feel free to fast forward. I don't care. But <laughs> GameStop with the the actual like DVD or well DVD cases for games on the shelf, where literally all it is is a fucking code for a download. Steam key. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Like, the last time I went into a GameStop, which was not to buy anything, it was I think I was actually there for one of the Nintendo events that we go to, but I was, like, poking around in there, because I hadn't been in one in a while, because I tried not to, and I, I saw this shelf of, like, just, like, DLC stuff, and it was just empty cases that you would bring up to the counter... And then they would just, like, give you a download code that you would go home and punch in on, like, Steam or whatever. And I'm like, is this really what this has come to? I am fortunate because I have not seen this wall. This wall of misery. It's insane. Like, this this is... Okay, as far as I'm concerned, like, this is the beginning. Like, this is the beginning of the end. Like, for GameStop. For GameStop. They're going the way of, like, Blockbuster and, like, Movie Gallery. Well, they're trying not to, and we're going to get to that story later. Well, if only Blockbuster had hopped on that fucking Netflix train when they had the chance, they probably wouldn't be out of business right now. That is true. But getting back to the topic at hand, Shovel Knight will get a physical release. Uh, from what Shane told me, is fantastic game. It, it is. It, it, it drives up all the nostalgia that you could ever possibly want, and now you get to hold on to it in a disc form that you can pretty much play as long as your system or discs last. And that that's that's awesome. And on top of it, it's going to come with all the DLC that came with the digital version. It comes for free. All the content DLC is free. Yeah. So it's it's been a little a little while actually. They they've been working on the additional content and I I actually am not sure I don't think it's come out yet and if it has then I need to go on my 3DS and update my copy of Shovel Knight but 
Um, the first DLC was going to be Plague of Shadows, where you're going to play as the Plague Knight. And like I said, I, I don't think it's out yet, but it should be soon. Um, and so you're going to get that if you get the physical copy, along with all the future ones that they're planning on doing, which is... I think it's kind of cool what they're doing with it, because if you played Shovel Knight, you know that there are several knights that are basically like the bosses of the levels that you play through. And the DLC is going to have you playing not as the Shovel Knight, but as these guys. And these guys used to be like compatriots with the Shovel Knight before, you know, things things went down. And, is that uh, a spoiler? It's not now. It, it's not. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to spoil any like story elements, but it's not much of a story. Not From really. It's it's not really, but but it's. I think it's just a cool concept. So um, so yeah, this is this is pretty awesome. I mean, like I said, I already own the digital copy on 3ds, so I'll be looking forward to downloading Plague of Shadows, which is a free DLC download if you've already bought the game. It's going to be, by the way, Vincent, PlayStation Four, Xbox One, Wii U, 3ds, and if you live in Europe, PC. Now this is going to be something I'm going to kind of preface and say I think it's bad. Many people out there think it's good. We're going to go from one successful Kickstarter story to one that I don't completely agree with. And that is there's been a new Kickstarter announced from Comcept, the same people that are coming up with Mighty Number no. 9, and they have announced Red Ash. What is Red Ash? Well, Red Ash is going to be the spiritual successor to Mega Man Legends. The main character is going to be named Beck. I think it's going to be like kind of like in Mega Man Legends, how it was still rock. It's going to be like that, and they're having anime. So two Kickstarters at once <laughs> for this new game. I mean, does anybody else think that it's a terrible idea for a company to come out with a second Kickstarter when their first major one hasn't even fucking finished yet? I think it's awful. I think this is bad. Look, what has KJ Inafune done since he's left Capcom? Dude, I don't know. I, I don't know either. I mean, I'm sure he's done something. <laughs> just, I'm not saying he does has done something. I just don't know. I mean, I was going to say, you would know more about it than I do, and I don't know. So if you don't know, then... Uh, but, uh, like, let's let's do the, all the things he's tagged to so far. Mm-hmm. Mighty number no. 9. Mm-hmm. Ding, 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 ding. Okay. We all know about that. Raised, like, $3.5 million on Kickstarter. Like, what? It's like a year and a half ago now? Something like Almost that. Almost two years. Yeah. Um, and and Recore, which was announced, and now Red Ash. How many of those games have come out? I will take none for 200, Alex. Zero. And people on Kickstarter know this. This thing has been live for like two days now. All these other Kickstarters have hit their goals within 24 hours. We are almost beyond the 24-hour point, I believe. I believe. It might be more. For Red Ash, and it's at $51,000, and they need $150,000. Yeah, I think it's two days in now, and they're yeah, they're about a third of their goal, and and for something like this, one hundred and fifty thousand is like nothing. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they've only got like a third of that, I think, is pretty indicative of you know the fact that a lot of people are looking at this and kind of thinking like, I'm sorry, you're asking for more money for things when you haven't even created the shit you asked for before. Well, this, I think, this is the anime that we're looking at right now. Mm-hmm. Stupid link not being right. Okay, there's the game link. Now the anime is at fifty thousand. Okay, oh, this is actually even worse. Yeah, the game itself is at two hundred twenty-one thousand dollars at this at the time of this recording as we're reading it to you live, and they want eight hundred thousand dollars. 
in order to fund the project. So a quarter. So they're they're at a quarter of it. Um, that's not good uh, compared to the other Kickstarters. Remember, Shenmue Three hit their gate almost immediately. Ukulele hit the gate almost immediately. Bloodstain hit their gate within 24 hours. Bloodstain wanted five hundred thousand dollars. I think they wanted even less than than uh, Red Ash is wanting, and they hit that gate r- almost immediately. Red Ash is taking a little bit longer. Now, $221,000 is nothing to sneeze at. Well, no. But but when you're comparing it to other games sort of in this same, like, in this same vein where they're trying to hit on, you know, that nostalgia vein and everything, a lot of them have been, like, just knocking it out of the park as far as the Kickstarters go, and this one is just sort of dragging. I'm guessing that if... If it does make it, it's probably going to be like limping over the finish line at the last minute. I, I think it'll make it by a healthy margin. I do. Mm. Uh, it won't break. It won't have the eye popping numbers that all these other nostalgia inspired games have had. They're, he's they're they're really going to the well of nostalgia. And I think another part is this is Kickstarter burnout. That's, this is that, Kickstarter yeah. burnout. This that is that's exactly what I was going to say. I, I think we're we're seeing this now where people are getting really burnt out on this. Like the. Okay, you know, you can hit on that nostalgia thing for a while, but when when one particular source like this keeps going back to that well several times without, as you mentioned, actually proving themselves first, people... Okay, people can be stupid. <laughs> well, did, did, Mass- but, did they do the Kickstarter for Massive Chalice before uh, Broken Age came out? Well, before it came out or before it was finished? Before it That's came a out, distinction. Be- <laughs> before Part One came out, okay? Uh, I no, I don't think so. I, I I think it came. I think they started the Massive Chalice Kickstarter while they were still trying to finish Part Two. So they, at the very least, had double, something. Double Fine had a history. Plus, they have a track record. Yes, right. Like this is right. yes. I understand KJ Inafune has has a track record, but Comcept does not. Mm-hmm. Comcept's only game is Mighty Number no. Nine. And yeah. that's not out yet. Which is not actually a game yet. So you cannot con- you cannot convince me at all to back this game right now in its current state. You cannot. No, and and I mean Kickstarter itself is already asking a lot of people. Like uh, you're you're putting money in basically on nothing but faith, and and then well, in addition to that, now this particular Kickstarter is not only asking you to throw money in on faith alone, but also towards a, a basically unproven developer, really. Unproven developer on a series that, yeah, was, is very good. And Nostalgia has a lot of people, like a lot of niche audience doing it, but it was a niche audience that wanted a third Mega Man Legends. Yeah, which is arguably pretty small, I think. It's pretty yeah. small. It's not a bad game. It's a good game. But it's not the, the greatest. But it's a good game. But, um... No, I don't understand it. Yeah, is it good that I'm seeing a project like this being made? Yes, but the other thing is I'm too like based off the whole entire Shenmue three fallout with how Sony was involved and how much money they're putting in and major corporations dipping in and what they're doing. It makes me leery. Like Kickstarter's essentially now become a pre-order system. Yeah, weirdly enough, yeah, kind of. And, and but I, I want them to show me something first. Well. They need to stop it. 
I think Kickstarter now is being used in a way that it was not ever originally intended, even for things like Bloodstained, which both of us pretty, I, I, yeah. pretty much were completely for. But even then, it was like, it wasn't really being used to fund the game, which is what Kickstarter was meant to be. It was more of like a, I'm using this so that I can prove that there's interest in it. Well, that's the Shenmue 3 was that too. Well, right, right, I know. But, but it's not like it's not like the backers of Bloodstained made a huge press conference and brought Igarashi out on stage mm. and said, back my game, and we're doing a countdown for Kickstarter like Shenmue 3 did. Which, by the way, if you back now, you can get a physical copy. I think that's an interesting... They're making one for the PS4. So was that you, a recent edition? That yeah. was a recent edition. Yeah. So I, that, that might tempt me. That might push me over the ledge. I mean, but, I, I I have never... I'd have to actually go back and play the first Shenmue before I even cared. I actually got them on a PC. On what? Is it on Steam? No. Is it illegal? Are you emulating, Chris? Do we have to have an intervention? What are, what are we talking about? <laughs> so, speaking of Steam, which you just brought up... Um, apparently Steam Machines... That's right, you can avoid really the topic popular. if you want right now, but... What, what topic are we talking about? No, that's fine. It's Shenmue? Fine. Yes, yeah. you should all go out and, and get a Dreamcast version of Shenmue for $70 now that Shenmue 3 was announced. Or you could get it for PC. Oh, what was that? Are, are you talking... You can't find it for PC? Are, are you Ask talking, someone on are Reddit. You, are you talking about <laughs> perhaps overpriced vintage games? Maybe that's something that we'll talk about in a little bit. We gotta get there. Imagine that. In order to get there, we gotta cover these topics, though. But, Steam Machines pre-orders have been snapped up. I Why? did not Why? see this coming. I don't understand this at all. I didn't see it coming. I didn't think this was going to happen. I thought, <sighs> I thought the first batch of Steam Machines that are coming out were largely pieces of crap. I thought they uh, were either underpowered, and uh, the ones that were affordable were underpowered, and the ones that were of the appropriate power that you want a steam machine for were way too expensive. Wildly overpriced. Wildly yeah. overpriced. Well, I mean, it's fucking Alienware, man. They've been known to be overpriced machines <clears throat> ever since their inception. But they weren't just Alienware. I mean, they're you know, no, well, you I know, a bunch of different companies. But still, like one of the major ones that were up for these pre-orders was the Alienware steam machine. Right. And and yeah, it's sold out. And I, I do not get this at all. Like, I was expecting this thing to fail fantastically because, okay, you're you're buying into a machine that runs Steam OS, which it's is a, it's a well, it's not proven. It's a version of Linux, and if you know anything about Linux, you know that. It's definitely not nearly as user-friendly as a Windows machine. There are some versions that get pretty close, mm -hmm. but uh, it's not the same. And I, I still feel like you're going to have the same like weird driver issues and stuff like that. And it's not going to be... Uh, it, it's, it's a dedicated Steam machine, basically. And I just didn't think there was that big of a demand for that, especially when anyone who is actually that interested in a Steam machine is probably somebody that either already owns or knows how to build their own PC, which they've probably already done. Well, I'll be honest, I'm very interested in getting a Steam machine. What? Why? I would love to get a Steam machine. For what? Be well, if they're built right. Now, I'm not interested in getting what they have announced. Don't get me wrong. 
Okay. What I'm interested in is if I can get a machine for the same price as a uh, Wii. If you're you, going to say console, no. Yeah, then, as a console. If I, get, if I can get something for the same price as a console and it'd be superior in performance to that console, mm-hmm. and every single major release is coming out on consoles and PCs now anyway, plus I can utilize any controller USB-wise to hook up to this damn thing. You won't. Plus, well, I can probably hook up an Xbox 360 controller to Steam machines. In fact, you can. No. You can hook back okay. up an Xbox One controller to the Steam machines. Okay, yeah, but the problem plus is... Plus, they're going to be more powerful, and I'm going to get my Steam deals. But they're not. That's the problem. Like... The Steam machines that are that are going to be, so far, that are going to be even remotely close to the price range that you'll be paying for a console, I don't think they're powerful enough. Not not yet. No. So I I, I would not. I would not invest in this ever. Oh, I, I said not this first wave. This first wave, is sh- this first wave in my opinion, is shit. I, and, you know, more power to you early adopters, but I think this is a terrible investment. Well, it should have been from Valve. Valve needed to make one console. That was optimized for their OS that they talked to developers about, like a console that you could move your library over to a PC, have cross-buy, have everything, which these you know, will do. They, they will have cross-buy. Okay. But you have, like, how many, like, like, 13, 15 different Steam machines? Yes, and you know what that says to me? This looks exactly like what has happened to the Android platform. Yeah. Where... And this is a problem that Apple never has because they have such a lockdown on their hardware and their software. Uh, For the longest time, you know, there's been such a fracturing of the Android platform because of the fact that it is so open and that any manufacturer can take a stock version of Android and fuck it up, which they all do by putting their own proprietary bullshit over the top of it. Um, in addition to the wildly varying hardware that you get for phones, which is why you can get an Android phone for like $20 at Walmart. Unfortunately, I see the same thing happening with this, where Valve is trying to be open about it, but at the same time you're going to get like a dozen different machines, and it's just going to confuse people you that are trying to buy this it. Is, this is a PC-minded person trying to go after the console market. Yes. <laughs> That's what it really is. Yes, it is. I, it, it, you know, the, the fun thing about this is this kind of reflects the way that uh, Panasonic thought about the console market back in the early mid-90s with the 3DO. Because that's what they wanted with the 3DO, was they wanted to how movies had the video cassette format or the DVD format. Not back then, of course, they didn't have DVDs. But they had a universal format that they all did it on, and um, Panasonic wanted games to have their own format like the universal format and that would be the 3DO and the 3DO that technology that's why you have different companies making 3DOs mm-hmm. and Philips kind of felt that same way about the CDI you had different companies make CDIs they wanted to be a, a standard format that you could play games on that's what I find interesting about this it's not going to happen because it's too PC like and speaking of things that you probably shouldn't have pre-ordered <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the latest Batman game. And, uh, man, I, I actually really hate that I have to talk shit about this because I really like the Batman games, by and large. But the most recent one has just been having so many problems, particularly on PC, that... Uh, well, only on PC. Well, I mean, yes. It's been most 
prevalent on PC. Like, the console version still had their share of some weird issues, but the PC version has been a fucking mess. And so, you know, Warner Brothers suspended sales of Arkham Knight on the PC entirely. I mean, if you already bought it, then you've got it. But you couldn't buy it after they did this because it's been just cocked up so badly. Which is, to me, it's... Okay, it's surprising, A. Really? Uh, that they would suspend sales. Oh, yes. they suspend sales. That it was fucked up. No, that it's is not surprising. surprising. That's not fucked up. Surprising, yes, yes. No, that part's surprising. Yes. What isn't surprising about it is, according to some sources that claim to have been on the uh, quality assurance team for this particular title... They had known for actually several years that this game, particularly the computer version of it, uh, had major problems, specifically with the Batmobile, actually, um, <clears throat> among many other things. And Warner Brothers kind of just, you know, didn't really listen. And in and, uh, and the last few months prior to release, you know, they were reporting these bugs, as is their job. And There's Warner Brothers between not listening and not caring. Well, it was kind of both. I mean, they just kind of really didn't listen because they were just like, "Oh, yeah, no, that's great. We think it's fine." And the console versions will make us money. Yeah, pretty much. And in a way, unfortunately, I think they're kind of right. Yeah. Not that I agree with it, <laughs> but they're right. I think their sales probably are higher on the console than the PC. I could be wrong about that, but um, this isn't unusual. I mean, games get released in a weirdly broken state all the time. I mean, look at fucking Assassin's Creed Unity. I mean, characters didn't have faces for a while. To their uh, credit, to the Warren Brothers credit, Assassin's Creed Unity happened on everything. <laughs> Not just Yeah, PC. sure. I mean, they got that going for them. <laughs> so, so at least it was, they that. got they got 2 out of 3. And Meatloaf says that's not bad. <laughs> Right, so when you're using Meatloaf as your, like, barometer for success... He wrote a song about it. Two out of three in bed. Don't be sad. Dude, he wrote songs about a lot of things that I would not necessarily use as, like, life advice. And there we go on the Retro Hangover podcast, Meatloaf. (laughs) I mean, I will say he was pretty good in Fight Club. Yes! He did have bitch tits. Bob had bitch tits. He did. And his name was Robert his Paulson. His name was Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> we're just totally getting completely off track now. Yeah, but so, I mean, if any of you actually have bought a PC version of Arkham Knight, probably on Steam, I would guess, um, I'm sure you've seen it by now. That Particularly with the Batmobile, as soon as you hop into that fucker, you're frame rate drops to somewhere in the neighborhood of like 10 to 14 frames per second or less. Not even cinematic. Huh? Uh, no, not even cinematic quality. And on top of that, it was the game itself for the PC was capped at 30 frames per second when the promotional materials made a very clear point of saying that it was running at 60. And then they just went completely back on that. Uh, among other various weird bugs and all that shit. But... Uh, I don't know, man. Like, I want to say that I'm, like, indignant about this, but I'm so just jaded to the whole thing that it doesn't surprise me in the least. 
what's upsetting is Nvidia. Nvidia is kind of getting a free pass. I've heard some people slamming them, but I've heard some people giving them somewhat of a free pass and even praise for helping people out how to figure how to make their systems run better playing Batman Arkham Knight. People do realize that NVIDIA released videos of this game running at 60 frames per second with NVIDIA effects. Yeah. And they were, like, advertising the hell out of this game. Yes. And saying how awesome it ran on on PC. NVIDIA is... is there's some shade cast their way. A lot of shade. They, also, they had to have known it wouldn't, it wouldn't be able to work like that. They had to. <clears throat> also, uh, speaking of NVIDIA, while we're talking about them... Hi, NVIDIA. How are you? Hi. This is Shane. Hi, Shane. I want to I wanna just take a moment to, um, to ask you, why is it that your NVIDIA GeForce Experience program that is supposed to be the thing that makes it like very simple for me to install driver updates for my graphics card on my computer is now irreversibly fucking broken at the moment so that when I try to run it, when you tell me that I have a driver's update, it goes to try to update the program itself and fails because it's trying to install a driver for a virtual controller or some bullshit that I don't actually own. You, you lost me, bro. That's fine. You're not NVIDIA. I'm talking to NVIDIA right now. I'm a console gamer. This is a private is... conversation. Well, no. Could you give us a moment, please? But be my guest. Thank you. I'm just I'm just saying for all the listeners out there who own consoles and have no idea what you're talking about. Well, this conversation isn't for you. Well, screw them. Yeah. Go on. Fuck you, Nvidia. <laughs> I mean, essentially, yes. But like, I've been trying to update my drivers all day now because I know that there's an update for it, and I like to keep up on that. And I would really like to use your GeForce Experience software that you have so graciously provided to me so that I don't have to do what I used to do, which is download the drivers separately and then run my shit in safe mode so that I can uninstall the drivers cleanly and reinstall them so that nothing gets all cocked up, which happens regularly. PC Master Race. Yeah, no, this is the shit we have to deal with. And that's the thing. Like, I'm used to having to fuck around with this stuff or, like, when games don't work right, going into, like... INI files and editing like lines to like make shit work. If you've been PC gaming for any amount of time, particularly like somewhat in the past, because now this is less of a thing, but you're used to that stuff. I'm not saying it's right and I'm not saying it's something you should have to do, but it happens. Um, but hey, NVIDIA, maybe, I don't know, like fix your shit. Cause fix I, Batman. I'd like to, well, I don't even own Batman, so personally, I don't care. Just fix your driver program so I can update my fucking card. That's all I ask. So fuck NVIDIA. Yeah, man. Back to Batman. Also, but fuck AMD more, because their shit sucks. I like AMD. I don't. No. But I never that, have. That, isn't that an odd part of this, is that this game runs worse with AMD software? And every single video game system on the market right now utilizes AMD software or hardware. NVIDIA has had such a stranglehold on particularly the PC market for so long but that, that, does, that, most... should, that doesn't matter anymore. Why? Because, okay, the PlayStation 3 and Xbox One are essentially PCs, yes or no? Essentially, yes. Yes. So if they're essentially PC running on x86 architecture, which whatever that means, and you bring it over to a PC... Why should AMD processors and graphics cards that be worse on PC than it is on the consoles that are 
pretty much running on AMD on on AMD hardware. I I don't have an answer for that because if I mean, you, you say if yeah. you if you had asked me that like last generation, I would have just said something about like the architectural differences, but there really isn't so much anymore. So right. I don't know. I mean, this I don't is, know. This is this is where it just it's it's weird. If because the PS4 and Xbox One have AMD graphics cards or AMD something. Yeah. So every single time it goes over to PC with AMD processors or or graphics cards, you think it would be a smooth transition. One would assume. One would assume, but apparently not because that's where the biggest issues are happening with the with the Batman games right now with Arkham Knight. This this whole entire PC crap has been going on with Arkham Knight. It, this is this is embarrassing that it, it's happening like this. They suspended sales. And you're right, you know, when Warner Brothers knows that... I don't know what this says about the PC gaming market. Um, when when your, your testers go to them and they say, this game's fucked up. And Warner Brothers is like, yeah, we know. Or we don't care. We, we don't care. We're going to make money off the console versions. And we're going to let this get all screwed up. Now, Rocksteady didn't develop... Well, I mean, they didn't port the PC game. No. You know, it was this, this, was this other team. They gave it to like 12 people from this company I'm not I'm not quite sure who it was but they gave, it, was, it consisted of 12 people and they gave them a limited time to port it over on top of all this so you're, you're giving it to 12 people to, this is a massive game this isn't like a joke it's a massive game yeah it's going to suck and they knew it was going to suck and they knew there was issues and this is this is coming off the heels of Mortal Kombat 10 you know, we were talking about this before they released that patch that like erased games, data files, and crash the game for the PC and cause all these problems, and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, sure, it's finally fixed, but hey, look, if you're a PC gamer, when Warner Brothers Games wants to put anything on your Steam account, don't buy it, not day one, don't do it, avoid it, stay away from it, and I, like, I don't actually know how it got to this point, because the first, at least the first couple, and, okay, uh, there's a d- full disclosure. I didn't buy the first couple of Batman games until like after the fact. Like I didn't buy it on release, so that might have affected my viewpoint of it. But from what I saw, at least the first few, like Arkham Asylum and Arkham City, by and large, were not that bad. I mean, they were kind of buggy, but being an open world game like that and the scale that it is, like, I'm not surprised there will be some issues, but I never ran into a problem with them. And it seems like it's beginning progressively worse, which immediately draws to mind, at least for me, uh, the Assassin's Creed series. Like, I brought up Unity. Mm -hmm. They're just getting progressively worse. And I don't know why that is, other than the publishers just want to push this stuff out the door to try to make a buck. Well, name, name one company other than Nintendo that you can trust to deliver a complete and unbroken product on day one? I can't. The closest I could have come to would probably be Blizzard, but even they... I would say Square Enix is pretty, pretty good about it. Mm. But I mean, the, I, I mean, also I, don't I don't know about the Western releases. Name a, okay, so, even because I can think of an example. Name a Western company that you can think of. Well, Any, name again. one Western company. That doesn't have that. That's not broken upon release in some stupid fucked up way. One Western company. If you're talking about major companies, I can't think of one because I there was a time where, I w- like I said, I would have said Blizzard. But even then, if you're thinking back to Diablo three, 
Yes, but mm-hmm. even Diablo 2, like the mm-hmm. the classic Diablo 2, there was some really broken shit in that game that didn't get fixed until the Lord of Destruction expansion pack. So, on the outset, I can't think of one. At least Blizzard can go back and fix their shit, and they have a track record of usually doing that with like their first expansion. That's when their games usually get really good. But like right from release... Nah, I can't think of anybody, which is unfortunate. But this, it's this is this is the travesty of the modern game industry. You have to wait months and like treat them like cars for consumer reports to come out to figure out whether or not the game is worth buying. And this is why, for the most part, um, I wait for mostly for. And this has lost all meaning at this point, at least for me. But uh, I wait for like the game of the year edition for a lot of the stuff. And really, what does that even mean now? Game of the year, like it used to be. It was the publisher's game of the year. <laughs> well, it used to. It used to actually mean something like this was game of the year according to whatever source, and so we're releasing an edition of the game. Well, look how many more sources such. there are nowadays. You can claim anyone as your source. You just got to have one source. Yeah, I, I guess. Or the, well, uh, now they like, well, realize they've changed it now to like the definitive edition. Yeah, or whatever fucking adjective. Or prepare to die edition, like yeah. with Dark Souls Two. <laughs> But yeah, uh, Batman. This, the this prepare to crash to desktop edition. The situation with the with Batman, the games crashing, the, the the frame rate being lower, it looking worse than the piece in the PS4 version. It being capped out at thirty frames per second. This is this that's it's terrible. It's it's absolutely terrible. But you know what's not terrible? Mm. Is the profits that Jurassic World made. That's not terrible. No, no, it is not. Um, and we're they, looking at an old story to, to, to be to be fair, so it's even higher than the story we're looking at here. No, I actually want to say that, and we might actually have to vet this out. But I actually want to say at this point that Jurassic World might actually be one of, if not the highest grossing movies now of all time. At the story that we're looking at, at the very least, uh, which is a little old was referencing the fact that it surpassed the Avengers, which was the current record holder at the time for an opening. Yeah. Um, reaching 500 million in 23 days, but Jurassic World has basically already destroyed that. Um, have you seen it? I haven't seen it. Yeah, see, I haven't either, and I really want to because I've heard really good things from people that have seen it already. You know what's weird about this one? Hmm. This is, this is, it, it snuck up. It really, it, I mean, it, no, it didn't sneak up, sneak up. <laughs> but, like, Avengers, everyone was talking about it. Like, everyone I talked to, I can't wait to see the Avengers, man. I can't wait to see the Avengers. It's I because the Avengers didn't have any, like, preconceived notions. Where Jurassic Park was like, okay, we had one good movie and, like, two mediocre, two kind of shitty ones. Well, I mean, the, the Avengers had a lot of preconceived notions. You were pretty much betting on it having to be a good movie. You knew it was going to be a good movie. Based no, off well, but pre- it, okay, previous it, history. It didn't have a precedent set by, like, three previous movies in a franchise. No, That's it had, what like, I'm 20. saying. <laughs> well, okay, fucking whatever. I'm just saying, like, there wasn't, like, Avengers 1 through 3, and then this latest one was, like, maybe this will make a difference. Like... Where this, this is exactly what this was. Where we had Jurassic Park, which I will fight anyone who said is not a good movie, because it fucking is. No, yeah, it's a great movie. And then 2 and 3, 
Two is okay, three sucked. They're interesting to watch, but they're not good movies by any stretch of the imagination. And so this comes out several years after the fact, and um, yeah, there's a lot of trepidation because a lot of people are like, hey, I remember what happened to those Jurassic Park movies, and they kind of sucked, so I don't know what I think about this. But I met people that said they wanted to see The Avengers. I didn't talk to anyone personally who said, I cannot wait to see Jurassic World. But that's why. That's why. Because we had two shitty Jurassic Park movies. So we were just like, okay, this is but probably going to But don't you think suck. that would keep people from going to this? Uh, that, it, that's would, what, it would keep people from telling you, like, I'm totally looking forward to seeing it. I just find it odd that made that much money. I mean, good for them. I mean, that's, that's awesome. I'm happy Jurassic Park's making a comeback. I'm happy I mean, it, it's not bad. Listen, uh, word of mouth still works very effectively yeah. even in this day and age. So you figure that's a lot of words of mouth. Well, that, that's really sure. Quick. That's like wildfire. Well, yes, it but I mean, better than the Avengers, and it's not—it's not like it's supposed to be better. I mean, the Avengers is still considered to be the better movie here. I mean, I guess I don't know. I haven't really seen a direct comparison necessarily, but I don't know. I, I still—I actually need to go see this because I—I I, part of me didn't want to because I didn't want to be disappointed, but then. Probably a bigger part of me did want to go see it, and because it's dinosaurs eating people. Well, I mean, it's that, but also Star Lord. You know, they have a lot of people from Marvel in this movie, like a which lot. may have something to do with it. <laughs> All right, so this is your story. I, I, I don't don't just, call it my story. <laughs> this is for you. All right, you know what? Whatever, fuck <laughs> it. It's my story, man. This is, this is for you. Because I know you love this. Yeah, I play Hello Kitty Island Adventure all I, the time. You have, I bet you have Hello Kitty Racers for your Wii U. That's actually a game that's probably going to go up in value because people are idiots. <laughs> hey, that's a thing we're going to be talking about. <laughs> uh, no, but in, in other cinema news, uh, there's going to be a Hello Kitty animated movie. Uh, that reportedly is going to be hitting theaters sometime in 2019. So assuming the Retro Hangover podcast is still going on, then we'll probably be talking about it. No. (laughs) No, we will be. This is an important cinematic milestone, Chris, and it's going to be talked about. And for that segment, I'll bring my wife over. She can talk to you about it. Awesome. There you go. (laughs) She'll, She'll know what to talk about. I mean, uh, you and Hello Kitty apparently is like me and Mega Man. It's really not at all. <laughs> like, not even close. <laughs> but uh, this this movie uh, reportedly has an expected budget of somewhere in the neighborhood of, like... What? 162 <laughs> to $242 million for an animated Hello Kitty movie. I don't... I can't... I, 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 I struggle to find where that money is going, but... It better be really awesome, is all I have to say. Also, fun fact, Hello Kitty is not actually a cat. I didn't know this. What? Yeah, no. She looks like a cat. No, apparently it's a a British girl named Kitty White. It's not actually a cat. What? It's just like a freak of nature. It's a furry. I mean, it's a freak of nature. If it's not a cat, what is it? It's a furry. It's a furry. There we go. It's a furry. (laughs) An animated furry. Uh, so just hang on for 2019 and then all your prayers will be answered. Here's a question. What's going to come out first? This movie or the Final Fantasy 17 remake? The Final Fantasy 7? 
Holy <laughs> shit, they've already made 17? I'm so far behind. That's how I felt when 14 was... That's how I felt when they announced 15. I'm like, they made 14? Apparently. So <laughs> so this or the, the FF7 remake? I don't know. That That's a good question. Yeah, what's going to come out first? Or The Last Guardian? Uh, that'll never come out. No. No. <laughs> Uh, but if we're talking about sort of weird shit that's in the making, um, uh, we recently discovered that there is going to be a James Bond musical. That's Why not? Be, that's going to be on Broadway. Why not? Okay, listen. I will say there is there is a way that this could work. So, <clears throat> so Mary Saltzman, who is the daughter of the producer of the Bond films, Harry Saltzman, is actually the one that's bringing this thing to Broadway. And she has acquired the rights for Bond to make a stage show. Uh, it's going to be called, in probably the most uncreative way possible, James Bond the Musical. And Come on, they have to have some cool-ass name to it. Well, That's so here's, here's where I think this thing could actually be cool. They've said... James Bond and the Singing Gun. <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh, God, Chris, I don't even... And the gun that sang. Yeah, you know, you know what? That That's a great name. That's better than the musical, damn it. You should you should talk to Ms. Saltzman about well, that. She'll probably have... She probably has a better name for it in mind that she's just toying with, with the stupid name. I mean, this James may be... Bond, the musical. This may be just a placeholder, but... The, so, the cool thing about this is it's actually set up to include, like, a lot of the villains from James Bond's legacy... So I'm really just looking for a whole lot of, like, uh, I need some dancing odd job. That would be good. James Bond, tomorrow is only a day away. <laughs> and I, I guess they're going to have their, Broadway. their very own uh, Bond girl. And so some of the speculation around this, because there really isn't, like, a whole lot of actual details yet, is, and probably rightly so, that they're going to be leveraging a lot of the... Bond theme songs because a lot of those have been very yeah, iconic. Too. Well, yeah, they they're one of the most icon iconic parts of the series. So the thought is is that those are going to be incorporated into the production, um, which just sort of offhandedly makes me think that there's going to be some interesting um, copyright things with that where this thing is going to cost a lot of money as far as getting rights to those songs. Can we have a singing and dancing odd job? I mean, that is what I just said. So, so yes. That's what I'm hoping for. Damn it, I'm trying to read the story and listen to you <laughs> at the same time. Uh, but, no, I'm, I'm... I don't know, man. Like, it could either be the travesty that was the Spider-Man musical, or it could turn out to be, like, pretty c cool. So... I'm hoping for cool, because I really like the James Bond series with a few notwithstanding. Um, slappers only. <laughs> slappers only and Big Heads mode in a facility. You don't, no, no, Big Head mode is automatic on Broadway. Everyone <laughs> everyone is already in Big Head mode. Uh, wouldn't that be awesome if they did the whole production with like all the actors in just like giant paper mache heads? That'd be fantastic. <laughs> all right. That's enough of that story. Not not listening. I'm, I'm obviously not listening to it because I missed your odd job. No, you. Chris is not paying attention. Paying attention to this <laughs> shit at all. He checked out as soon as we started talking about this. So it's it's whatever. I'm trying to think of stupid subtitles for the thing. 
That's all I'm doing. He's just lost in thought about that. And you haven't even come up with a good one, either. No, I have not. uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. That's why I was going tomorrow, tomorrow, there's always tomorrow. Like from Annie, because that's a musical. Wow. Not the the new one. That's a great connection. Yeah, see, this is how my mind works. It doesn't. (laughs) Uh, So the last story on tap today, which is going to make a very nice segue into our main topic for the evening... Is uh, GameStop. If you've been following gaming news at all, and we're going to assume that if you're listening to us, then you probably do, uh, GameStop has started selling retro games and systems to try to cash in on that sweet nostalgia market that so many people have been uh, getting in on lately. And I gotta say, I, I mean, I personally am not really impressed with the, what they've been uh, offering up so far because if you go and compare some of the prices that they've got for these cartridges for like a Nintendo or Super Nintendo, hop on over to eBay, take a look at the price difference and for a lot of these uh, titles, you are paying a not insignificant amount more at GameStop mm-hmm. than if you just went and bought it on eBay. Well, and you get free shipping. Well, first, first of all, it varies. I think it varies from game to game. It varies from system to system. You can tell they're, they're really pinging off the more known titles. Uh, the, the Sega Genesis form I found, Sega Genesis by and large, is reasonable. From what I've seen from from, from buying a lot of Genesis games over the years. Um, I will say that I'm surprised that NBA Jam is only twelve ninety nine. Yeah, we're looking at Super Nintendo games right now. Too. I, I would have thought it would have been like more. the Legend of Zelda. Look at the Legend of Zelda for forty dollars for Legend of Zelda is way too much. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, it is. That's way too much. Uh, wait, wait, go go back up, scroll back up, right there. Oh, fuck it. Okay, Secret of Mana. It's like fifty. Uh, uh, bucks. Let me let me go back in my playground because yeah, I've been dealing more with Genesis games than Super Nintendo games. We're looking at Super Nintendo games right now. But from what I've seen from the Genesis games, because I've been buying Genesis games now for like the past two and a half, three years. And from what I saw from the Genesis games, it's reasonable. Nintendo 64 games are pretty reasonable. Nintendo and Super Nintendo games are a little high. Uh, same for the majority of Dreamcast games. Uh, PlayStation games are too high to reasonable. Sonic and Knuckles for $12.99. That's, that's about the going rate. Uh, six ninety nine for Sonic the Hedgehog two. You can get it for a lot cheaper than that, but you have to understand it's probably their bottom of the line price. I, I'm I'm just looking at a lot of things. Uh, Aladdin twelve ninety nine is actually pretty high for that. Ten dollars for X Men is reasonable. That's pretty good. Um, Eternal Champions, which is awful for four ninety nine. That's about right because that game is shit. Twenty um, bucks for Earthworm Jim. Yeah. Well, no, it shouldn't be. No, that game. No. Wow. maybe for two maybe I mean but that's low for two but for the most part they're reasonable for the Genesis Uh, yeah are they high in certain areas sure Uh, like Altered Beast should not be $10 if you're because you're probably going to get it card only if you get it card only that's that's like a $3 game dude I have they want 30 bucks for Zombies Ate My Neighbors for Sega Genesis and I'm pretty sure that's cart only Mm. And I have, I I have the cart and that. the box and the manual. I don't I don't know about that, but like Castlevania Ooh, Bloodlines, Bloodlines is is they have it for forty dollars. Now you can't buy it, and that's a, that is a going theme here with a lot of these games. They don't have them available now. Forty dollars for Castlevania Bloodlines is a pretty good price. 
it's not a bad price because that that goes from forty to fifty to sixty dollars on eBay cart uh, only. Well, that in itself is a problem anyway. That that's a good price for them. Yeah, that that's a problem that after we get on this topic and segue <laughs> into um, that we've been preluding to the, this podcast. But it's not terrible. And, and here's the thing I wanted GameStop to accomplish, and I don't think they will, is I kind of wanted them to write the market. I don't see them writing the market. But why would they? They have no reason to. They have no reason to, but, they, but at the same time, they do. If you can cripple... Okay, if I'm GameStop right now, and I'm looking into the future... And I'm seeing that we're, that the video game market is going to go digital, whether I like it or not. And there's going to be less things I can put on my shelves. If I have less things to put on my shelves, how am I going to fill my shelves? Well, yes, first of all, this is rep- online only. But how am I going to get? How am I going to exist and continue to make money with physical product? Retro games is what it is. Now, a lot of people may forget. I mean, GameStop down here, at least in our area. Uh, I remember there used to be Rhino Games. I don't know if you remember Rhino Games. But Rhino Games, in 2005, 2006, this kind of disappeared. GameStop kind of bought them out. Maybe been a little bit later than that. But they they bought them out, and all, they used to sell everything back to the Super Nintendo and earlier. They, they, they were everything. And they're gone. And they're, now where their locations are, there are GameStops. And so pretty much GameStop is pretty much going back to the thing they eradicated and but in ways i think it's good is that the retro gaming market has gotten out of control and i was hoping gamestop would help provide an equilibrium to that and maybe they charge lower than the going rate to get people to come to their site and get the business going and if they charge a lower rate and they became successful that ebay would be forced to shove their prices down lower and that every other store you can go to and purchase video games would have their prices get down lower to more reasonable levels that we were at three years ago even Hmm. no i i honestly i just think that's expecting too much from game stuff Mm -hmm. like they they saw this opportunity and they know the potential that it has, and they, they just want to cash in on it while they can. That's well, really what I think. Then they is. don't understand the market, and they're not talking to people who do. No. N- no. And I wouldn't expect them to. I would expect people in the company to know. I mean, I would expect... I totally expect people in the company to know that what the potential is. I mean, why, why else would you... Why else would you go to... I mean, it, they know the consoles that people are looking for. Look at the consoles they excluded. They're not going anything before Nintendo. They're not including obscure Nint- uh, consoles like the Master System or the TurboGrafx-16 or unpopular systems like the Sega Saturn. But they are tapping into systems that have found renewed popularity like the Sega Dreamcast. There's, there's people in marketing and there's probably gamers within the company that know what they want and they know what the price points are. It's just they're not universally doing it to the point where they can provide a competitive reason to go to them. No, and, well, I mean, you're saying that you're looking for, you were, idealistically, you were looking for them to try to correct the the retro game market because they have, they have the, the clout to do so because they are so big. But, as I said, I think that's expecting too much from them because I really think from a corporate standpoint, they're just looking at it as, this is something we need to capitalize on now, and we need to get in on it because honestly, if they're looking at it from a purely 
business standpoint, I would venture a guess to say that they're they're seeing what I think you and I are seeing and what we're segueing. What we're segueing into now, which is, is that, our main topic, is that like this is the retro game market is a bubble, and they're trying to get in on it now. And trying to capitalize on that while they can and make as much profit as they can while these prices are as inflated as they are before this whole thing bursts. I think that's what they're doing. So you think they, they see a bubble? Yes. So we'll, we'll just go right into the main topic. And our main topic this week is retro games. So we'll combine it with the GameStop story. So we keep stop straddling and just, just combine the two or we'll just reference the, the two. So what's going on with the retro game market right now? So, yeah, so for the longest time, uh, you could, if you were someone who was in the market for finding some of those games that you liked in your childhood, you could pick them up at garage sales or used game stores or whatever for relatively cheap um, because no one really knew or no one cared necessarily uh, about, like, the value behind that. It was just like, oh, I don't know, I found this shit in my closet and I'm trying to get rid of it. Or the people who did care were really, really niche. Right, right. And so, but now, in, in recent times, in the past, you know, few years or so, uh, people, by and large, even people who don't really even give a shit about games as games, uh, just your random mom who happens to be clearing out her attic and is having a garage sale this weekend is now more acutely aware of the perceived worth of you know vintage uh, game systems and cartridges and stuff like that and it has driven the price up considerably so even if you're not someone who's in the market for like reselling if you're just a collector or or even if you're just someone who just is looking for those games that you played when you were a kid and you want to pick them up cheap so that you can experience some nostalgia, you are now going to be dropping significantly more money than you used to be. And it's not, I don't believe it's, it's sustainable. I don't think it's a tenable market. I think it's going to follow the same track that a lot of collectible things have in the past. Like, who have you talked to recently that gives a shit about baseball cards? Nobody. Nobody. Comic books. Or comic books. There was a time mm. when baseball cards were like the thing to collect and they were worth, you know, whatever. And and then that got to a point where... See, the way that I see it is when enough people start to realize that something is quote-unquote collectible... That's where it starts to artificially drive up price. Like, have you noticed? I don't know if you've seen this. I didn't know this until today. There are actually people out there that are purporting themselves to be professional graders. That's been going on for a while. I didn't know that. Like for a while. And well, the that yeah, fuck, fuck them. First of all, fuck them. <laughs> yeah, because they're, they're not. They're, from what I understand, they're not really well regarded in, in the collection market. No, they're not. But that, to me, like because I I wasn't actually aware of that until like very very recently, mm-hmm. just today. That right there, as we were saying, where we think that video games are following the same trajectory as say comic books. Mm-hmm. That's a huge indicator right there because for the longest time now, you know, you've had comic books where, you know, it's like, well, 
this particular copy of you know Action Comics number one. Well, this has, happened a lot in the early nineties, right? Early right. early mid nineties. Um, you know, it's well, it's it's in a plastic with a you know a cardboard backer, and you know it's been graded as you know whatever a nine or whatever they use for their grading system, and. And that sort of like drove up the prices of comic books in the same way that I think we're seeing now with video games. And I don't, as I said, I don't think that's sustainable. I, and I'm, in a way, I'm kind of hoping for it to crash. <laughs> Just from a purely selfish standpoint because, I don't know, I'd like to maybe not pay like hundreds of dollars for a copy of Earthbound. I don't know how... Uh how much you are into the retro gaming market. Because I know you're a PC gamer, and, and it's easier... It's not so much a collectible thing when you're going on Steam, and you can go back and you have access to games all the way back to 1999, easily. Well, and whatever else is available. Even further back than that. And, and yeah. even further back with like good old games. You can get DRM-free games of like the original Might Magic games. From the I mean, I, un- I understand 80s. that there right. is like a rarity based on the physical like copies of these like cartridges. Well, it's, it's not so uh, much that the retro gaming market, I think it, it has become completely toxic and I've started retro game collecting since 2012 when I bought a Sega Saturn mm-hmm. and I bought a Sega Saturn. Uh, my brief history is, is when I left home in 2003, uh, I came back in late 2004, around 2005 to get all my games and found out all my games had been pawned off or sold because I wasn't there and they didn't mm. think I'd want them. Uh, back then, yeah, it bothered me. But you have to remember back in 2005 or even 2004, that, that wasn't something a lot of people thought about. Uh, I didn't really characterize my video game collection as a bunch of things that I had va- that had value. They had personal value, but they didn't have like monetary value. I wasn't looking to sell them. And I had a video game collection that was quite notable. I had some very, very, very rare games. I didn't think of that at the time. In fact, when I was offered, hey, we have all your NES games, I was like, I really don't care about those because I don't have an NES and I can't play them. I'm kicking myself now because I actually had an opportunity to recoup those and I didn't take it. Uh, But back then, you could go out, you could get games for nothing, like five, six dollars and you go to a flea market, and people are just pretty much giving that crap away. Well, I mean, I remember doing that when I was a kid. Like yeah. when I was, I, I don't know, I want to say like somewhere in the neighborhood of like twelve to fourteen or something. I remember going to like yard sales and stuff with my parents, and you could come across NES cartridges that people were giving away for like fifty mm-hmm. cents because they were just like, I don't know what this fucking is, and, and it's, it's a game. Yeah, and it's a game, it, and it's a kid thing, so I'm going to sell it with this box of toys for, like, mm-hmm. 50 cents or a dollar. Well, a good example of that is, like, how I got my Game Boy player for the GameCube. It was actually, I got it online, I'm, I'm happy about it, is uh, just an example of that, and you, just to show the mentality of some of these people that are showing you, if you get lucky enough, is she was selling a Game Boy player with the disc, and it just said, like, selling the Game Boy player for $15. And I so of course, I, I asked her a question. Does this come with the disc? And she's like, yeah, it comes with everything. So I ordered it, and it came with uh, Zelda Force Horse Adventures. And the entire price for the entire thing, Zelda Force Horse Adventures for the GameCube, not the Game Boy Advance. I don't think there is one. But the whole entire price for it was $15. Hmm. Now, a lot of you are saying, now, for, for reference, a, a Game Boy player with the disc itself is $40. 
And recently, Four Swords Adventure, the game itself, is $30. So you're looking at $70. But that's the problem. That's the problem with the retro games games market. I'm, I'm of the mentality of, I just want to play the game. Like, I have people that tell me, hey, I want to get this game. And they're like, well, I have the game, but I don't have the case with it. So what? I, I, I want to play it. I, I'm not a game person who wants to put something on a shelf and have it look pretty. At some point, if I buy a game, my intention is to put it in the system that it is supposed to be played on and play the fucking thing. Yeah. Not, not, not to have it collect value. I'm the, I'm the idiot that takes my Crusader of Senti, brings it to a retro game night, <laughs> and leaves it alone and say, please play it. Because it's a, I understand it's a three to five hundred dollar video game, which that, is insane, which by is the way. stupid, and I understand people aren't going to be able to purchase that and enjoy that game. I want them to understand that play it and understand this game is not worth three to five hundred dollars. <laughs> play it, damn it! I, I mean, and I think that right there is the the perfect slogan for this whole thing is like if you're really a gamer and you're not just looking to collect these things and place mm. them in containers on a shelf just fucking play it damn it like that's what they were made for they were made to be played like i have i mean i even have the same viewpoint on things like well action figures and stuff Mm -hmm. like that i don't keep that shit in a box you know like i will take it out of the box i sure that's probably going to ruin the collector value of it i don't really care like i would rather have it out of the box than keeping it you know in there i do the same thing with like pop figs and stuff too but so i guess we should also and i'm i'm not going to speak for you you can you know certainly put your viewpoint on it but mm-hmm. at least for me i'm not saying that we are chastising the the, the the game stores for selling games at their current value because if I was a businessman I'd probably do the same thing I mean mm-hmm. why would I not but you know but at the same time it, it's not we're not looking at the purveyors necessarily as the problem I think it's just the market like I don't games now particularly vintage games now have have become viewed as collector items when a lot of us just really want to play them. Like, that's... Now, the, the cautionary tale, I think, is promising for consumers, but not so much the, the, the sellers, the retailers, the purveyors themselves, is down here in the local Jacksonville area, we used to have so many more stores mm. that, that sold retro games. I remember there used to be Gorilla Games on San Jose. They shut down. There used to be Game Swap on 220... They shut down. There was the Game Swap in Lake Asbury. They shut down. There was the Play and Trade. Um, I want to say on, on Beach. I don't know where they used to be, but they shut down. Mm. And, and Games Galore and and Video Game Rescue are the only two ones left. I mean, there's some other places, but they're not as known. There's they're startups, and they're nowhere yeah. near as successful as those two. Right. Uh, now, of course, my most common place I go to is Video Game Rescue because it's closer and uh, they, they keep up to date on their prices more, which can help you at a place like Games Galore if the game prices go up. Sure. But if they happen to go down, uh, they're, they're, they suck for it. They're a little overpriced. Now, when it comes to brick-and-mortar stores, I, I do have my disagreements with them which I've told you about before I mean they're, they're understandable they have a business to run so I'm not going to hate on them and they gotta have a good 
if you're going to give a good trade-in value, you're gonna have a price that reflects a good trade-in value. But the problem I've had with brick and mortar stores is if you go on a website and it tells you that the game is worth $40, you're charging $40 for it. Why am I going to your store? If I can get it online for $40 and you're gonna charge me $40 for it and the place I go online is $40 with free shipping and not have to leave my house and spend the money on gas, why am I going to your store? Yeah, I mean, that that is true. I mean, there really is no incentive there other than maybe, like, the altruistic, like, notion that you want to support, like, a local game store, which is a valid argument, but if you're looking at it purely from a value proposition, then no. Like, if you're going to charge what people are charging on eBay, and a lot of places on eBay, as you said, do offer free shipping... Mm -hmm. I would rather not leave my house if I can just order it and have it show up at my door. So, I would say when I buy my retro games, yeah, I, I try, I I do whatever I can to go to a local store. If they don't have it, yeah, I get online, and that's that's how I've done it. Especially if the prices are comparable, because it's on my way home from work. If I want to get it, I'll get it then, and I don't have to pay shipping or waiting or anything. I mean, the prices are the same. But if they if they don't have it, yeah, I'm going to go online. I'm not going to wait for them to get it. Um, no. And I do like supporting the local game business because I do like the people who work there. Of course I do. As do I. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, if, if I go online and I find something that's $10 less than what you're charging at your store, what am I going to do? I'm a consumer. Ultimately, I'm a consumer, and I have a family to put, miles on, put food on the table for. <laughs> So any way I can find a way to cut a, cut a buck out, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And it's nothing personal. But, I mean, ultimately, it's out of control. It's completely out of control. There's no reason any game should be more than $100 at all. And especially if a game is over 20 years old. You understand, like, you look at Fantasy Star 4 and Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy 6 and a lot of those other games, Virtual Racing that cost more than $60 and they released like $70 to $90 upon release. Like Fantasy Star 4 was $100 and when it was first released back in 1994. Yeah, you know, I had, well, I want to say forgotten, but I probably didn't even just think about it even at the time because I was a kid and I didn't care. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. But like, if you go back and look at some of the scans of those... Uh, those flyers from, you know, like, EB Games and stuff like that from back in the day. I was actually surprised looking at some of those that, like, brand new, like, Super Nintendo cartridges were retailing for, like, 80 bucks or yeah. something in some cases. And I was just like, holy shit. And that's 80 bucks in, like, 1992 money. Yeah. Which is insane. You're talking like $130, $140 nowadays. Yeah, which now makes me realize why my parents didn't always buy those things new. Because <laughs> I was like, that is a lot of friggin' money for one game. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Like like I said, I, I personally feel like this thing is... It well, how, can't last the way that it is. How long before people start going back to emulation? I mean, look what happened to the... First of all, okay, not even emulation. Look what happened to the Atari market. Holy shit. Yeah. Like, okay, the system's still worth a pretty penny. Sure. Like, uh, if you want to get the wood grain original six-switch Atari, it's going to be anywhere for 100 to $120. Yeah. Okay, you don't have to worry about it because that's pretty much like buying a high-end PC and then going on a massive Steam sale because all of their games are worth less than, like, five bucks. Well... You can get, you can get like, a tub of games... 
like just tons of games. I'm looking right now, looking behind me at this at this, <laughs> well, I this thing. I, w- I would bring that thing to my house because that thing's awesome. Uh, you have a ColecoVision, and I think in there you don't just you have Atari games, you have Intellivision games, and you have Coleco games. Yeah. And, and the local game store, just what you, you tell the story. Well, okay, so uh, yeah, I mean, we were we were talking about VGR. That's yeah, the, the video game rescue. It's one of the well, one of the only, uh, the, the best in Jacksonville. The well, it's re- it's actually the only one I go to. But yeah. uh, you know, it, it's one of the the only you know retro game stores here in Jacksonville, and uh, I'm fairly good friends with with the owners and stuff. And I was hanging out there one day, and he uh, had a big like. Tote, plastic tote full of, as Chris was saying, you know, uh, various Atari and Coleco and television games and stuff like that that just really weren't selling. And he had had them on the shelf for a long time, and uh, he was just going to bring them out to the. He, actually, he did. He put them outside of the store, and he was just like, "Listen, man, like these are just free for the taking, and if no one takes them, then they're just going in the dumpster." And I was like, "Uh, well, then I'll." take them <laughs> so i just grabbed the yeah. whole thing and and i i took it home like and of course i i personally haven't really actually done anything with them there's still power cable there. power cable isn't cheap yeah but uh but that is that is sort of the point that that chris is making is there's like this weird dichotomy where the console itself is still worth quite a bit the cartridges themselves don't you can't even get rid of them Basically, so it's it's very strange. I think when it's going to crash, and uh, like we were watching a YouTube video that that pretty much led to this discussion, where it's talking about is has video games gotten to the point where this is a speculator's market? Yeah, and and I it starts with the retro games. I mean, think now, think about it now. If you as a purchaser, not just you, but the listeners. You buy a game, how many people out there are buying games because of their projected value? I have never done that. Like I Not you personally. I'm not asking no, if you've done no, it, no, but I if know, you know of people. Because no, I know I mean I actually don't know anybody. Yeah. But, uh, I mean every because everybody I know is a gamer. Like they're buying it because they want to play the fucking thing. They don't they're not buying it because they're like Oh well, if I buy this, I mean, it's not like the Beanie Baby market, which also fucking failed. Horribly. But I think it's because it's a but, different market. Because what can you do with the Beanie Baby after you buy it, other than do unmentionable things to them? Which is I mean, for, I don't. Whatever know. you do with your stuffed animals, Chris, is your own business. But what, what are you going to do with Beanie Babies after you fucking buy those things? You put a little heart-shaped plastic case over the TY tag. Yeah. And then you put it inside of a plastic cube, and then you put it on a shelf. I don't know anything about this, but I'm glad you do. That's Listen, my brother bought those, and don't ask me why. Yeah. But anyway. I didn't. <laughs> good, because I didn't want you to. Okay. Uh, but, I mean, yes, okay, so there is some utility to these game cartridges after you buy them, but, uh, as I said, I don't personally know anybody that buy games with the specific purpose of... Well, no one's like, gonna say that. Like, they might say that's a good price for it, or I'm surprised it's that low, or I wanna buy it while it's cheap. Because I think gamers, real gamers, are gonna look at this, and they're gonna be like... I, I think part of the speculation 
is an unfortunate part of speculation. We're like, I gotta buy this because it's interesting. Even though I don't think it may be good enough to buy for full price, I gotta buy it now because if I don't buy it now, later it's going to cost much, much more because that's what the market does. I mean, but I suppose you could also make the argument that with you know the prevalence of digital games and stuff now that maybe that's less of a thing like with mm-hmm. new games specifically well with digital yeah I mean that is going to be completely erased with digital but I think that's why like look I pre-ordered Xenoblade I don't like to consider myself a speculator but like Xenoblade Chronicles X mm-hmm. um, I pre-ordered that why because I saw what happened to Xenoblade I got Xenoblade because it was part of Operation Rainfall and I heard it was a really good RPG and yeah I could have waited to get it used but I decided not to because I really wanted to be on the forefront. I wanted to support games coming over from Japan and letting Nintendo know that we wanted them. Mm. Uh, so I bought Xenoblade. And the prices for Xenoblade until GameStop did their crazy, stupid, false used game uh, resell back was that that game got up to like $175, $200. Which, by the way, I would hope that anybody that's like listening mm-hmm. to this thing would not support this whole GameStop thing. Because if you're going to go and trade in your, your retro games to GameStop, I mean, you do realize that you're going to get like pennies on the dollar for that stuff. It's better than people think it is, unfortunately. Um, I don't hate on GameStop. I do have a good friend who works at one of them, and he, he says it's, it's, it's gotten a lot better. But, I mean, they're, they're willing to offer me $40 for... For Xenoblade, and how much is that going for? Eighty. Really? They're going half. That's actually impressive. Yeah, so it's not as bad as people say that it is. Well, whatever. Then you're just listening to someone who has some very long-standing. That was officially from GameStop. Issues with GameStop. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> that, well, that's the thing that I'm looking at with these GameStop sales too. I mean, yeah, are these prices ridiculous? And that's why I was hoping to bring about an equilibrium to the market. Because a lot of these games don't need to be what they are. Look, Super Mario Bros. 3 does not need to be a $20 game, which I think is what GameStop is selling it for. Um, Or more, they may be selling it for. Because it's very popular and there's millions and millions and millions and millions of copies out there to be purchased. And I was hoping they'd bring equilibrium to the market because they pay pretty much what it should be worth, which is about $10. But they're not doing that. They're going off market value and they're going a little bit higher. I do want to see it crash. I I do want to see the retro games market crash because I want to get Saturn games cheaper. Yes, for purely unselfish reasons. Okay, well, uh, speaking on the unselfish level, yes, I want all these games to go down. I I don't think game systems like uh, the TurboGrafx-16... Or the Sega Saturn, and eventually the Dreamcast, and even eventually the Wii U, are ever going to go down because they didn't sell very well. And it's a niche market, and it's a different market, and they're different thought process. But I think, look, Nintendo, Super Nintendo, and this Sega Genesis really hasn't taken off. Um, PlayStation, PlayStation Two, look, those when they everything's going to hit their cusp, and Super Nintendo's really getting there. And they're going to fall because you're going to outprice the market and people are just going to turn to emulators like they have in the past. And it's going to crash and it's going to balance itself, especially with all these shitty games that are just expensive because they're rare. They're going to plummet down and everything's going to come back to reality at some point. I mean, that's that's really what I'm hoping for. But 
I think that this is... If you look at the prices for stuff, I want to say that I think this is following the the nostalgia track where a lot of the games that are probably wildly overpriced right now are the ones that were around when like people in our age bracket were kids. And you're saying that for right now, the PS2s and stuff like that are really relatively cheap right now and they are like most ps2 games you can still pick up for like a few bucks early ps3s 360 games dirt cheap wii games are nothing right and so you give those like what 15 years and they'll probably follow the same track well i give wii games five to ten because it's a nintendo system sure like look at the gamecube that's all it took was five to ten years ps2 games you can still get dirt cheap Give that another five to ten years, and it'll be some PS2. Actually, a lot of PS2 games you can't even give away right now. I mean, and part of that is because mm-hmm. PS2 was like probably the most ubiquitous system ever. Mm-hmm. Actually. Well, it means you're going to have a lot of extremely rare games because everyone was making games for it. Sure, sure. The, the, I think the market you, you got to look out for right now is going to be into. The, I mean, the Nintendo 64 market has taken off. Um. <clears throat> It's due time for the Genesis market to take off because that really hasn't taken off. Because, look, I mean, the game I just mentioned, Crusader of Seni, which I kind of fell on miraculously, is one of the most, right next to Musha, is like the most or most expensive Genesis game you can get, like, period. Uh, officially licensed, anyway. And it's between, the Crusader of Seni box completes between $300 and $500. Now, yeah, is that worth Yeah, that's a stupid amount for a video game. However, if you go over to the Super Nintendo side, like Mega Man X3 cart alone is $300. That's how stupid the Super Nintendo scene is right now. Genesis is going to get up to that level, I think, soon, unfortunately. So if you're, if you're looking to get Genesis, get in there. But the retro games market, yes. PlayStation 1 is going to inflame. That's going to blow up. Uh, this Nintendo 64 we've only seen the beginning and we've already seen the prices that, that those things have gone to GameCube's gonna blow up uh, and, and PS2 will blow up in 5 to 10 years but Nintendo will crash fairly soon at least like a lot of these games that are just rare and not very good uh, they're gonna go down uh, games like Contra and, and I think are gonna go down a little bit and all the really popular games are, are going to go down as people our age. Uh, they already have what they want, and they got out what they wanted out of it, and they're going to move on. Yeah, I think... I don't know. It seems to me that one of the roots of the problem isn't so much the resellers or the retailers, necessarily. It's... It, it's To me, it's like, it's like the uninformed mom and pops who are digging cartridges out of their kids' closets and seeing that, you know, apparently there's a worth to these games that they weren't aware of before. And now and this actually is a problem for the retailers and stuff. Like people like, you know, video game rescue and stuff who who thrive off of this this stuff, you know, this is making it more difficult for them as well, not just us as, you know, gamers or, or some of us who are collectors or whatever. It's making it more difficult for resellers as well because now 
you are having, you know, mom and dad or grandma who suddenly is aware thanks to the ubiquity of the internet and the information available to them and like eBay and or like video game price charting websites. They are now more acutely aware of the perceived worth of these things than they were before. Whereas, as I was saying, you could go to your yard sale and pick up like a bunch of NES cartridges for like 50 cents a piece. Now, and, and I personally have done this, where you go out to yard sales on a Saturday or something and you see a table of you know video game cartridges and you get all excited because you're like, oh man, this is sweet. There's going to be some good stuff here. And you go and look. And they already know? And they already know. Like, you go and you compare the prices of what people at a yard sale, of all things, are asking for game cartridges from a Nintendo or a Genesis or whatever. And you go and compare to what you're looking at on, like, a, a price chart or, like, eBay, and it syncs right up with that. And you're like, well, why am I buying this from a yard sale then? Like, it, there's no value proposition there. And... And I don't, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if, I don't know if it's a bad thing that people have more information at their disposal. No, it's a good thing. But. I mean, it really is a good thing. <clears throat> I mean, let's not, let's not blame the information market here. And why everything is being, like, why, why the value of these retro games are going up. I think, yes, it's a lot of this nostalgia. And I think if you really, really, really want to get back into this market, you're going to have to wait a long time. I mean, because do we think we're just hitting this at a bad point right now? It's a terrible point. I think with the like World Sports Championships, I don't know if that's the correct name, but that really kicked this off. That game from the Nintendo mm-hmm. that went on eBay for like ten thousand dollars, right? Yeah. That that started that started the flow, and then you went to when the Wii announced the Virtual Console back in two thousand. Uh, so when it came out in two thousand six, when it came out the Virtual Console for it, and then a lot of people. I mean, even then, Nintendo knew that there started to be a market for the damn things. Yeah. Like it was coming back. Nintendo always knew because with the Nintendo Game Boy Advance, they released the original Nintendo cartridges as Game Boy Advance games. I know I own two of them. I own Zelda and I own Castlevania. I bought those because I wanted to play them on the go. Yeah, like a dummy. Yeah. Um, but Nintendo knew that then, and it, it's gotten like especially since the Virtual Console came out, it's gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. And like I used to think that like when Nintendo was charging. $9 or $10 for Earthbound on the virtual console, it's a bad deal. Okay, go get the physical copy. Yeah, which last I saw retailed for about $189 cartridge only. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, as I was saying, we're hitting this at a really bad... It's It's all really cyclical, and I think we're at that point right now where a lot of those retro games from that particular era, like late 80s, early to mid 90s, that portion right now is what's sort of like in vogue and that's why that shit is so expensive and if you can if you're a collector or if you're just someone who is looking to purchase those games just to replay them or to have them in your possession because you had them when you were a kid and you're... Get Never Drive (laughs) Well I was going to say be patient and wait it out but sure that works too no, just just wait it out, man. This stuff, it, it's gonna crash. It's the same thing with, like we said, comic books, uh, baseball cards, any of that stuff. It all, you know, comes and goes, and there's gonna be a point where 
those particular games are going to go crash again, and then you're going to be looking at PS1 and PS2 and Dreamcast and whatever games that are going to be shooting through the roof, and that'll be the time where you shouldn't buy those, and you just wait until that part crashes too. Just just hope that when it all crashes, it doesn't bring the rest of the industry down with it. Eh, I don't think it will. I think the thing is that industry the industry's too big now that I don't think it's gonna crash. And the whole it's thing. too repetitive, it's too generic, it's it's too well, similar. Well there's a lot of compounded problems there that might come together to, you know, maybe not completely crash but bring well, things well, back down to earth. But I don't while think while we're on nostalgia, what was the biggest news out of E three? <laughs> what the FF7 remake? Final of uh, uh, yeah, a remake of an almost twenty year old game and the Shendo. revival of an almost of well, an, of a series over fifteen years old. I mean, sure. I mean, we've been. I mean, people have been saying that for quite a while now that the game industry is thriving on it is thriving sequels, on nostalgia, sequels and remakes, like sequels and remakes. And once if the video game retro market is oversaturated and it's getting older and it's to collect and everything's collector's edition, and everything like that. It won't be able to maintain it. If the nostalgia dies and we're on a video game industry that's relying heavily on the nostalgia, it's going to start taking chunks out of it. It's not, maybe it won't bring it down. I mean, it could, but like I was saying. It happened in the comic book industry. Yeah, yes, but part of me wants to think. It almost happened in the movie industry like 10 years ago. It doesn't want to think. Part of me thinks, whether I want to or not, that. It's just going to move up to the next generation. Like that, I mean, we're at the age where we're looking for, you know, Nintendo and Super Nintendo and Genesis games because that's what we were playing when we were kids. The generations that come after us are going to be looking for those other systems that came after us. I think it will be a crash that is isolated to a particular like time frame is really what i'm getting at like i think the demand for the games that we are talking about a lot of the cartridge based games those prices will probably fall as people like us start to cycle out of that and the demand starts to come to the generations that come after us who are going to be looking for PS1 and PS2 games and stuff like I that. I completely agree, but there's way too many games for to be that to be as sustainable as it was with the Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, Nintendo market. Oh yeah, I mean sure. I mean I don't. It might not reach the same like insane level of inflation which that is we're good. seeing now, which <laughs> is good. Which is good. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, so no, I don't think it'll reach that same height, but I don't think. I don't think we're ever going to see it go away. Well, I think we've beaten this to death. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I've made a lot of circular points. You made a lot more eloquent and better points than I have. Thank you for being here. (laughs) I mean, it's my house, so whatever. (laughs) But most importantly, you, the listener, thank you for being here with us. If you've made it all the way here, thank you very, very, very much. Uh, This has been the Retro Hangover Podcast. On July 5th, 2015, episode 6, uh, brought to you by Yingling. Not officially, we're just drinking it. Yes, full disclosure, we are not accepting any money from Yingling. Although, if you're interested in a sponsorship deal, feel free to get in contact hey, with we'll us. Hey, we'll take it. We'll get drunk on your dime. Absolutely. 
as always, as we as we mentioned, um, should you guys be interested in getting in touch with us, there are several ways that you can do that. Uh, we do have a Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash retro hangover. Uh, and if you are not of the Facebook persuasion and would like to get in touch with us in what is weirdly an old-fashioned way now, uh, we do have an email address, which is podcast at retrohangover.com. Uh, any comments, questions, concerns, praise, you know, vitriol, anything. literally anything that you'd like to send our way, we'd love to hear it. Um, if you do have anything that you'd like to have, you know, read on the podcast, we'd love to do that. But otherwise, I think that probably wraps it up yeah. for us this week. Uh, so yes, if you want us to get a Twitter account, let us know, because I haven't even dabbled into Twitter and I don't care to, but if you think that'd be more accessible, uh, go into Facebook, let us know, send us an email, let us know. We'd love to hear. Um, we'd love to open up something. If the community wants it, we'll do it. Well, that's all for Retro Hangover. I'm Chris Gopleen. And I am Shane Kosky. Keep playing.